Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Keeps it in, and a nice play. Tarasenko to the empty net. He scores! And if you've got a hat, chuck it at your radio. A third-period hat trick for the Blues by Vladimir Tarasenko. Has made it a 5-2 game. 1.33 to go in the third period of play. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are spending some time today talking about Vladimir Tarasenko. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service. Text line to get involved in the show as always. One more day without Alex. He is currently having the time of his life down yeah. at Disney World or that's, something like that. That's how I would describe it. I cannot Disney World. wait for the stories on Monday. I will just leave it at that. We will allow him to explain what his experience has been like. Tanner, the big news yesterday in St. Louis was Vladimir Tarasenko openly talking about his future or maybe lack thereof in St. Louis for the first time basically since last summer. This has been put on the back burner where it's, it's essentially a subject that he just doesn't want to broach, and I don't blame him for it. If you're playing for the Blues and you're in the middle of the grind of the season, you're trying to get things back on track, all of these different things, the last thing you really want to spend time talking about if you're Vladdy is what your future holds, right? You just want to play hockey. Well, now he's down in South Florida as the representative at the All-Star Game for the Blues, and he talked with the media yesterday about what his future holds. And here's what he said. And I'm quoting this directly. This is These are the words that Vladimir Tarasenko had to say about himself. Quote, Even Vladdy doesn't know the future of Vladdy. There's only one guy who knows more than me, and his name is Doug Armstrong. I think that's the guy you should talk to about my future with the Blues. That comes from Jeremy Rutherford. He continued in his story. JR did, and you can read a story over on The Athletic today. It's well worth your time. Quote, if Armstrong came with a contract extension, would Vladimir Tarasenko be interested? Here was his response. I pass all these questions for you to talk to Armstrong. He's the one that knows more, obviously. Tanner, reading the whole story, reading between the lines a bit, It sure sounded like to me, this is a player who has not rescinded his trade request that does not plan to be in St. Louis long-term. I don't think it is anything to do with the fans. I don't think it is anything to do with the city. I think the same issues that he has had for what, two years now continue to be the same issues today. I would be shocked 
absolutely shocked if this is not the final month that we see Vladimir Tarasenko in a Blues uniform. I'm with you. I I think reading that story, it just kind of reaffirmed to me that the trade request is still there and that he's kind of looking forward to potentially being out of St. Louis in terms of just getting a fresh start with somebody new. I mean, passing on all this question saying, oh, you have to talk to Doug Armstrong. I mean, he could he could publicly say, you know, I want to be here like Ryan O'Reilly did. And he didn't say that. Absolutely. So I, I, I think he wants out. And again, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's anything to do with the city. I don't think it's anything to do with the fans. We saw last year where he enjoyed when he'd be the first star talking to Panger. Chans were fanting Vladdy. I think it stems all the way back to the issues with the medical staff two years ago. So I agree with you. I, I think this is the last month you're going to be seeing Vladimir Tarasenko. I think he's going to be dealt once we get to that March 3rd deadline. And even if he's not, maybe there's a chance that the Blues hang on to him at the, past the deadline because they don't get the offer they want. I don't see him re-signing here at St. Louis. We had that conversation yesterday. I, I still believe that after coming, after reading this article, I would be stunned. I'm still at the less than 5% chance that he's a blue in 2023 or 2024, I, I guess. I would go 0% at this point. Like, I just, like, I, I can't imagine that if, if you're Vladimir Tarasenko, I can't imagine a scenario in which you're re-signing here in St. Louis. And if you're Doug Armstrong and you know that, you have to trade him. You have to trade him at the deadline. I know he's got a no trade clause, and that does it does change some things. Like you can't just send him anywhere. He's gonna have some say in where he ends up. But if you're Vladdy and you don't want to be here and you're getting traded to literally any contender around the NHL, I, I would think that you would say yes. I would think that you'd be willing to accept that deal. And maybe that's not the case, but if you really want out and you want to go play for somebody else, I, I I would think that that would end up being the scenario. And not only that, you can then pick your spot the following year because you're a free agent. Right. And you're going to have your bidding of teams you want to go to. So I, I'm with you. I lean that way to where if it is a team out west, even though he's been connected to about everybody out east, I, I could see where he would say, you know what, I really don't want to go there, but it's only half a year. I'm going to a contender. Sure. I'll waive the no trade clause. The thing, we're talking about three months. Yeah. I can, in the offseason, I can go sign a deal with, you know, the Rangers or Florida or whoever. Yeah, I that that's where I stand on this. I would be curious for listeners how you read those quotes, how you heard them. One four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Jeremy Rutherford was on with the morning show earlier today, and he was asked about his conversation that he had with Vladimir Tarasenko. Here's how he categorized those conversations. There was mm-hmm. a lot of talk from him yesterday about how he really wanted to come back and help this team and be with his teammates. You know, is that? Players speak at the deadline, it could be, but, you know, the article talks about what he thinks about the no-trade clause and talking to Doug Armstrong, so on and so forth, uh, but listening to him yesterday on the phone, a lot of talk about hoping that he could get this team into the playoffs somehow. And I believe that. I believe that in his heart of hearts, that's what he's trying to accomplish. I think that's what Ryan O'Reilly's, I mean, he said the same thing. So my only focus is how we get this thing back on track and how we can get this team into the playoffs. And this goes back to what Kerry Davis said a few days ago on the morning show about the difference between the mindset of a player versus the mindset of a general manager. And I think it's a really important one because when we talk about tanking or we talk about getting that top draft pick, that's the mindset of a GM. These players on the Blues, they all still want to find a way to get into the playoffs because that's the best thing for them individually. It's the best thing for them with this team. They're not tanking out there. They're not trying to lose games. 
I just think that when you're the general manager of the team, you have to look at it a little bit differently. And that's where you have to look at both the short and the long-term future of your club. And I think that's where Doug Armstrong has a very different view of it. And this brings us to a quote that I saw from Frank Saravalli. This is about three or four days ago now that he said this, but he was talking on a Calgary Flames podcast about who the Flames could be looking to acquire at the deadline. Here's what he said about a couple of blues that might be of interest for them. I think the Blues and Flames have had some conversation. Um, I, I can't put my finger yet whether it's on Tarasenko or whether it's on Barbashev. I think either one of those would be interesting fits and reminder that Tarasenko has the full no trade and no move, so he will only go anywhere if he okays it. Now, he does not have the no move, but he does have the no trade, but that's neither here nor there. Here, I guess here's a follow-up question for you, Tanner. Do you care where he goes? Like if you, and the same thing could apply to Ryan O'Reilly. If you're a Blues fan and it ends up where the top contenders for Vladdy or O'Reilly services are Colorado or Vegas or Calgary, teams that are in the Western Conference that you very well could see both the rest of this season and maybe they end up re-signing in one of these spots. Do you care where they go or are you just taking the best return possible no matter what that team ends up being? I, I don't care where they go. I, I'm taking the best return possible from whoever the team is because I think right now you're in just asset collection mode. So if it's Colorado offering up the best package for Ryan O'Reilly, okay, I'm sending Ryan O'Reilly there. If it's the Calgary Flames that are offering up the best package and Vladdy's willing to go there, then yeah, I, I'm sending them there. I have no reserve on if they're in the division or if they're in the conference because, one, you're not competing against them this year. You're you're trying to get as bad as possible and get a high draft pick. And also, I, I just wouldn't worry about that if you're Doug Armstrong because I do think Vladdy at some point is going to end up on the East Coast, so I don't worry about him. And Ryan O'Reilly hasn't played like the centerman that I thought he was going to be coming into the year. So if he's on the downward trajectory, then I don't care who he's playing for as long as it's not the St. Louis Blues. And that's not a shot against Ryan O'Reilly. I'm just saying I, I'm, if he's on the back end of that aging curve, he's not as big an issue for me to be trading him anywhere in the Western Conference. Yeah, I. if you wanted these players back you would be trying to resign them yeah and so you've determined that they don't have the value to your club that you once thought that they did so yeah trade them wherever if that ends up coming back to bite you then it was going to bite you no matter what whether they were in the eastern conference the western conference the central division the pacific division it doesn't matter if these guys were going to be significant pieces of your future then you'd be resigning them or you'd be looking to do so so I, I don't really care where they end up going. If you want to trade them, hell, you want to send them to the Central Division. You got one going to Winnipeg, the other going to Colorado. So be it, man. If that's who the teams are that are giving you the best return possible, I think that's the way that you go about this. And then it brings us to this, because this weekend, I, I do think there's going to be some talk at the All-Star game about Vladdy and what he meant in St. Louis and what his future holds and all of that. This will become a national discussion now, maybe more than it has at any point over the last calendar year. I wonder how Blues fans are going to remember his time here. It's been a decade of Vladimir Tarasenko at least nationally kind of being the face of the franchise. I know locally, like it's become Ryan O'Reilly for, for us is the he's the captain. He's the face of the franchise, but Vladimir Tarasenko was on the cover of the NHL video game. He's a guy that has been a consistent 30-plus goal scorer in his time here in St. Louis. He's now fifth all-time in Blues history in goals. He's seventh in assists and fifth in points in franchise history. In those categories, just for some context, 
He is now ahead of Kachuk. He's ahead of Backus. He's ahead of Demetra in terms of goals in his career here in St. Louis. He's ahead of Steen, Demetra, and Perron in terms of points in his career here in St. Louis. Tanner, whenever this script is written and the move is made for Vladdy to go elsewhere, how do you think his time is going to be remembered here in St. Louis? Taking into the context all of it, the injury, the trade demand, the Stanley Cup, the ups and the downs. How do you think his time here is going to be remembered by Blues fans? I think he's going to be remembered as a top three player in Blues in this last era of Blues hockey, where he's going to be in that conversation with Alex Petrangelo, Alexander Steen's going to be in that conversation, David Backus. I I think he's top three in the last era of Blues hockey because when he was healthy and he was young in his prime, he was one of the best goal scorers I've seen in my lifetime as a Blues fan. So I think he's top three in this era with also that caveat of kind of the what-if factor. What if he never goes through those shoulder injuries? Are we talking about the Blues extending Vladimir Tarasenko at this point in his career and potentially playing even longer with the Blue Note on his chest um and and i think you have to look at him as potentially a top 10 to 15 all-time blue i mean you look at i mean as you mentioned he's top 10 in a lot of categories goals assists points i mean he has been one of the best blues in franchise history and one of the best blues in the most recent era of blues hockey i they just started that blues hall of fame he's gonna be a member of that I mean, you look at it, the only guys in Blues franchise history that have more goals in their respective careers here in St. Louis than Vladdy, like none of them were within the last 20 years. And so that's going back to your point of this era of Blues hockey, like basically going back to 2000, who are the guys that scored more often than than Vladdy? I mean, it's Brett Hole as the leader in franchise history. And then Bernie and guys that played like 30 years ago. Vladdy, I think, I think his legacy here in St. Louis is going to be a little complicated because of the trade demand. I, I think that will sit and be difficult for a lot of Blues fans to take for See, a while I, in the immediacy. I don't know if it's going to be that big of a factor in the immediacy because, as I mentioned earlier, you know when he was first star at games this past year, it wasn't like it was just oh hey there's Vladimir Tarasenko. It was chance of Vladdy. Vladdy, like there was no bad blood between him and the fans. I think people have kind of pushed that to the side and just said, you know what, he had an issue with our medical staff and they kind of saw the tea leaves of it because of the back-to-back shoulder surgeries. I I, I don't know if it's going to be as complicated as we might think. I don't know. I, I think there is a little bit of a complicated relationship with Vladimir Tarasenko locally. I, I don't think it is like the pure unadulterated love the way that it was for some other guys that have come through, especially given how great he's been. I mean, he is one of the most productive players in franchise history, full stop. And when you have a player like that, typically it it becomes this, this love affair between it's like what it is with Nolan Arenado here in St. Louis right now, right? There is a 100% approval rating for Nolan Arenado in St. Louis, 100%. And with Vladimir Tarasenko, it's not that it, because of the way he plays in some ways. Like, there are nights where people watch the games and they say, Vladimir Tarasenko is the reason that the Blues lost this game. Turnover, not playing defense enough, uh, not being active enough on the offensive end, whatever it ends up being. Some of the same complaints that people have about Jordan Cairo have been complaints about Vladimir Tarasenko over the last decade in his time here in St. Louis. And so I think he's one of those players, kind of like Dimitra, 
that the further you get away from his career, the more you remember the good times and put away any of the, the stuff that frustrated you as you were watching it on the ice. You'll just look back and say, you know, like as he is right now, 262 goals, 291 assists, 553 points in his career here in St. Louis. That was one of the all-time great St. Louis Blues, and it all kind of came to a head with the Stanley Cup and then a couple of injuries that ended up being the downturn of his career in St. Louis. But I, I think he will eventually be remembered with a incredibly high approval rating. I do think right now, though, there is a bit of a split on him, and it's not it's not like a nobody's going to remember him fondly type of thing. Just I think there's a little bit of a touch and go type of a thing with him right now. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Would love to hear some of your guys' responses on that. How are you going to remember Vladdy? What's going to be going through your mind this weekend as you're watching him as the Blues representative at the All-Star Game, likely for the final time? We'll get to some of those throughout the show today. Would also like to hear from you guys on the mic drop feature over on the 101 ESPN app because it is such a significant weekend for Vladimir Tarasenko and the St. Louis Blues. We'll get to all that throughout the show today. Coming up in about 30 minutes, we'll get to ask us anything. But coming up next, are we going to be comparing Wilson Contreras all season to the potential trade options that the Blues had at catcher this offseason? We'll talk about that coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I love this time of the year when it comes to the baseball season. The reason why is because you get all these top 10 lists. You get the top 100 prospect lists. You get a lot of lists that are coming around this time of the year. And then by the end of the season, we get to see how wrong any and all of them were. Tanner, yesterday I was once again watching MLB Network as they were putting out their list of the top 10 catchers in Major League Baseball. And I was curious to see where Wilson Contreras was going to come in, but that wasn't the only one that I wanted to find out about. I was also curious, okay, where's Alejandro Kirk going to land on this list? Is Danny Jansen going to be involved? Where's Sean Murphy going to be? Those were some of the other options that we were talking about during the offseason that were legitimate possibilities for the Cardinals. And in the end, Wilson Contreras came in at number five. Here's what they had to say about him on MLB Network as they listed him as the fifth best catcher in baseball. Let's get to the top five. And at number five, it's Wilson Contreras, now of the St. Louis Cardinals. One of the last of the championship Cubs, Contreras had a good contract here in Chicago, playing 113 games, slugging 466, and throwing out 31% of would-be base stealers. He is not a good pitch framer, but he has a very good arm. The bat, though, is what got him to St. Louis and got him paid. After a bit of a dip in production the previous two years, Contreras came back with solid numbers, finishing with a career high in weighted runs created plus. Really what happened is he started hitting for more power again, um, but because otherwise his, his numbers are basically the same. He's been a 240-ish hitter the last few years, been an on-base percentage right around 340 to 350, and then the question is, is he going to hit for power or not? And this past season, he did. The two seasons prior, he did to a lesser degree. That's what changed for him, really, this season. So overall, you got him in, coming in at number five on the list of the best catchers in baseball. I'll go ahead and read you the rest of this top 10, Tanner. I'm curious your thoughts on it. 
JT Realmuto, no doubt about it. Clear-cut number one catcher in baseball right now. No yeah. issues with that. Will Smith, number two. Adley Rutschman, number three. Sean Murphy was listed at number four, right ahead of Wilson Contreras at five. Alejandro Kirk, my guy, coming in at number six. Travis Darno, now a backup catcher in Atlanta. Number seven, Salvador Perez at number eight. Danny Jansen, another guy that we talked a good amount about. I was a little surprised to see him all the way up at number nine. And then Tyler Stevenson, who barely played really last year at number 10. Those are the top 10 catchers in Major League Baseball. My question coming off of this list is this. How much do you think we're going to be talking about Sean Murphy, Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, the other catching options this year in comparing them to what we're watching locally with Contreras. How much do you think that's going to be a conversation point this year here in St. Louis? I, I don't think it's going to be a big conversation point in St. Louis, honestly. I, I think people are going to fall in love with Contreras because he's going to be hitting fifth behind Goldie and Arnado or fourth, depending on how they do the lineup. But I, I think people are going to fall in love with him because I think he's the answer to be that third augment, third bat that's going to augment the offense. And with offense being the big kind of highlight all offseason long and really over the last two, three offseasons, I think fans are going to be happy that they decided to go with Wilson Contreras. I actually think he was still the better option, even though they've got Sean Murphy ahead of him on that list. I think there's more pressure, honestly, on the guys that were listed as potential trade bait candidates in these deals. You know, Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan were the guys that got thrown around the Sean Murphy deal. I think they're going to be under more pressure because if those guys don't end up hitting and don't look like they work out, I don't think fans are necessarily going to go, well, we could have had Sean Murphy for those guys. I think they're going to go, well, you also had other ideas like Pablo Lopez, for example, trade for him, who was a guy that was probably connected to Miami, probably Lars Newtbar, if we're being honest with ourselves. I think there's more pressure on the guys that were listed as the trade candidates because Cardinals fans do that all the time. Carlson became under massive scrutiny after the All-Star break when the Cardinals passed on Juan Soto, and he became one of those kind of untouchable pieces, and he really struggled. So I think those guys are under more pressure than Contreras with the guys that are on that list with him. We have so much like history with these things that I think we kind of know how this is going to (laughs) go at this point. If Wilson Contreras is productive, we're not going to talk at all about Sean Murphy or Danny Jansen. We won't even be looking at their numbers because we won't care because the Cardinals were able to sign a guy that was a 20 home run hitter that plays the catcher position and does a pretty decent job defensively behind the plate. If he struggles, if he ends up having a first year where it's a slightly above average offensive season and you see some of the defensive warts, especially with the pitch framing like you heard about in that answer there from MLB Network, that's when I think fans' eyes will start kind of veering off into, okay, what's Sean Murphy doing down in Atlanta? What's Danny Jansen up to to up there in Toronto? And if you get the like season from hell where Contreras struggles and then Lars Nupar doesn't produce and he ends up being a fourth outfielder for you, that's when people are really going to be starting to look at some of these other options that were available to you out there and saying to yourselves, man, we could have saved money and got rid of a guy at his peak production standpoint for Lars Nupar, and we decided not to do that to instead give basically $20 million a year to Wilson Contreras. I'm not super concerned about that because I think Contreras is going to be good this season. But I think that is how we end up talking about these other catchers. And I think that's the only scenario in which they're really discussed because if Contreras is producing, we're not going to be looking at any of those other players. We're not going to have the wandering eye. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how fans kind of view him because if he struggles offensively, it's immediately going to turn to his defense too. And I think even if he's having a decent defensive year compared to his normal standard – 
I, I think a lot of people are going to look at him as, oh, yeah, he's still bad defensively because that's just been the narrative around Wills Contreras. You heard it in that gut that we played. Not a good pitch framer. People are going to be used to seeing Yadier Molina, yeah. who was not very good, was terrible offensively last year. But people remember Yadi for his defense. I wonder how quickly they start to look at that one. If he struggles offensively, they'll look at the defense and then just forget about Newt Barr and Donovan for a second. Then I think people are really going to start to have that lingering eye. And honestly, like there's no like solid, really good defensive metric to look at when you're looking at defense. But I think a lot of people are going to all of a sudden go, well, we should have had Sean Murphy. He's better defensively for sure. Same with Danny Jansen. He's a better defender. I think if he can't out-hit his defensive woes, then people are really going to turn on him because they're used to that defensive-minded baseball style that Yadier Molina played behind the plate. All right, final thing here. The MLB Network top 10 lists are now officially done. They're, they're over in terms of the positional rankings. The Cardinals, who were among the top 10 at their respective positions, Wilson Contreras was the fifth-best catcher in baseball, Paul Goldschmidt, number one at first base. Brendan Donovan, seventh best second baseman. You had Nolan Arenado, fifth at third. Tyler O'Neill, seventh in left field. And Ryan Helsley was 10th among all relief pitchers. Tanner, who do you think is the Cardinal that is most likely to have one of these two things happen to them this year? Either they weren't among their top 10 this year and they jump into the top 10 going into next year, or... One of the guys that I just mentioned, obviously not Paul Goldschmidt, because there's literally nowhere to go uh, from number one. But one of the guys that I just mentioned that was on the top 10 list has a massive jump within their top 10. Who do you think is the Cardinal most likely to have one of those two jumps coming off of this next up uh, 2023 season? So I don't I don't think anybody massively is going to jump their spot minus Arnado who was five, which was ridiculous. But uh, I don't think anybody that was made list this year will really jump up into higher into the rankings that they're at. So I think it's going to be someone that enters the top ten, and I think it comes down to two guys for me. I, one is Jack Flaherty. I am bullish that he's going to have a good year, contract year. I think he's going to show he's an ace for the Cardinals once again, stay healthy. And if he is, he has the potential to be a guy that next year when we're looking at the shredders list <laughs> could be top 10 starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. The other one for me would be Jordan Walker. I, I mean, the right field class oh, was not all that particularly great. There's a lot of guys that look in that top, like Acuna, really good up there at the top. But if fans are already voting Lars into like top four before we've seen him really put together a full season, I think Walker, with all the buzz he's getting about potentially being NL Rookie of the Year, he comes up, he takes over that right field job, plays big chunk of the season, gets some votes for NL Rookie of the Year. I can see where he moves into the top 10 among right fielders next season. I like your pick of Jack Flaherty. It's just so tough, man. I remember when I was watching the starting pitcher list, I was like, man, there are legitimately 20 different pitchers that I could put into the top 10, and I could listen to the argument for any of them. There's just so many pitchers that he's going to have to jump to be able to get there. So I, I probably wouldn't go with him. If I was going with any one individual player, I know this sounds crazy, but it's the reason why I wasn't in on like a Dansby Swanson and Dansby Swanson was on the top 10 list this year among shortstops. I think it would probably be Tommy Edmond. We know defensively what he can be. If Tommy Edmond can improve slightly offensively, it doesn't need to be this massive jump where he suddenly becomes a 25 to 30 home run hitter. That's not realistic, but if he can improve a bit when it comes to his on base percentage, a little bit better plate discipline, and maybe he hits a little bit more from the left side of the plate against right-handed pitchers. I think you could easily see him being considered as a top 10 shortstop in Major League Baseball going into next season. So if I was going to do one, I think he's one that is both realistic and also like I almost expect that to happen coming off of this upcoming season. It'll be his first real season coming into it, expecting to be the everyday shortstop. He hasn't been that previously. So I would go Tommy Edmond as the most likely Cardinal to be 
in these top 10 lists next year that was not a part of it this year. Yeah, I like that one because I consider I considered Tommy Yemen as one of those guys. I, I just think the shortstop class is so deep that it's going to be hard for him to crack into the top 10. And kind of on your point where you said if he just improves slightly with that on-base percentage, then maybe he gets into that conversation because defensively everybody knows he's one of the better defenders in baseball. Offensively, though, I think people over, overlook him because his numbers aren't sure. just going to stand out to you when you look at that baseball reference page. I just think at this point, I kind of know what Tommy Edmond is. I think he's around that 250, 260 hitter with an on-base between 315, 325, and maybe he slugs 400 like he did last year. But I kind of think I know what he is. I don't know if there's much more room. There's definitely room for him to grow offensively, but I just don't know if he'll get to that point where he can get in the top 10. I guess my question would be this. Can he be for the Cardinals what Dansby Swanson was last year for the Cubs? And I think the hard part here is Dansby Swanson had 25 home runs and you just and 96 RBIs. And you just don't expect those kinds of volume numbers for Tommy Edmond. But Swanson also had an on-base percentage of 330. So if you take it down, and uh, Tommy Edmond last year had 13 home runs. Let's say that gets up to like 17 this year. And you bump his on-base percentage from 325, which is incredibly similar to what you had with Dansby Swanson. He's up into like the 350 range this year. That probably puts him into the top 10, right? Given what his defensive value is. I mean, you're talking about guys like Bo Bichette, Dansby Swanson, um, Tim Anderson at the back end of the top 10 this year among shortstops. I think you could get him into that range. Uh, yeah, if he ends up putting up those kind of numbers and increases that power a little bit and that OBP kind of rises slightly, yeah, I, I think Edmund could be in the conversation. But again, I, I just don't know if he'll end up doing it. But yeah, I mean, if he kind of puts up those kind of numbers, because everything else, the only thing that he's different from with Swanson is really just the home the home runs because as you said on base he's kind of the same he does he provides more on the base pass in terms of stolen bases he had 31 doubles Swanson had 32 doubles so like they're the same it's just the power is lacking and I though I do think Tommy Edmond has some sneaky power I just don't know if he has enough to climb into the top 10 that's fair I, I think the other thing that I would add here is like if he ends up stealing and I don't know what the new rules are going to mean for this, but I've heard he's going to get to 80. <laughs> of course he is. Um, it, last year he was at 32. If the new rule changes do significantly change the incentive for teams to start stealing more and he gets, let's say it's like 50, 50 stolen bases. I think that's the kind of number that can stand out to people right or wrong that ends up kind of boosting his value as well. So I, I think that's how he ends up getting into some of these conversations. You increase the steals, you increase the on-base percentage a little bit, you continue with the defensive value that you had, and then if the Cardinals are an excellent team this year, you add all of that up, and that's how you get into the conversation as a legitimate top 10 uh, shortstop in Major League Baseball. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys would like to get involved. But coming up next... Aaron Rodgers is definitive about one place that he's not going to be playing next year. And so is Derek Carr, which surprised me a bit yesterday, given where he was. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. A couple of NFL quarterbacks made news yesterday by making it pretty clear where they're not going to be playing. Let's start with Derek Carr. Because, Tanner, I don't know if you were spending any time watching the NFL Pro Bowl games yesterday. Uh, no, no. Surprisingly enjoyable. Like, legitimately surprisingly enjoyable. How'd our uh, fifth string shouldn't be a Pro Bowler uh, Tyler Huntley deal? Not, not great. Not mm. great. Now, the way that these Kinda are fits. operating, it's not the your typical Pro Bowl anymore. They're playing, like, they played dodgeball yesterday. Uh, they had, like, NFL offensive linemen catching punts with one ball in their right hand and then trying to catch it with their left hand. I saw somebody finish with five, which it was, was amazing. impressive. It was amazing. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, very good athlete. Uh, yeah, they Hendrickson's line- are. <laughs> they have... Linemen uh, trying to hit targets as quarterbacks. Um, They had players trying to catch water balloons. Like, it was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching it. Derek Carr dominated in one of the games that they were doing, which was basically like a target practice for quarterbacks. And he was asked after the game, hey, Derek, I'll go ahead and let you hear this. This is Ryan Clark talking with Derek Carr after his uh, impressive performance. You thrown touchdown passes in Vegas before. You've been on fire. Have you ever been that hot in Las Vegas? Not that hot. It's uh, probably why I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> nice. Oh nice. Bro, that is the most personality I think I've ever seen from Derek Carr, first of all. Secondarily, that is the kind of quote that you say during the Pro Bowl if you know you ain't going to be back. <laughs> you're not saying that if there is a 5% chance that you're staying in Las Vegas. Tanner, is that the nail in the coffin for you that told you, all right, yeah, this is over. He's going somewhere else. Yeah, uh, I would say that was the nail in the coffin. Derek Carr being like, yep, deuces Vegas because, uh, yeah, you don't you don't say that if you're coming back. Now, honestly, now that he said it, I am kind of rooting for the Jimmy G story where it's like, yeah, yeah, no way he'll be back. And then, like, next year we're looking at it and going, holy bleep, Derek Carr's <laughs> got to come in this game because of the injuries. So, but, yeah, I, I think he's done. I don't know where he's going to end up, but he's not going to be in Vegas. So we've talked about a lot about, like, which team should be targeting Derek Carr. If you were them, where would you want or who would you want to go after a quarterback? If you were Derek Carr, let's fit, flip that conversation for a second. Where would you want to end up? Like, whether it's via trade or if the Raiders are forced to cut him, which, by the way, he said yesterday to some uh, media outlets, yeah, I'm not moving up my or moving back my my target date for when my for bonus is due. They can either cut me, trade me or pay me. Those are their three options. If you're him, where would you want to go? What is the ideal landing spot for Derek Carr? Oh, I, I think number one, and it should be on every quarterback's list, because I think I could play quarterback there, would be San Francisco. Sure. With all those weapons, I, I think he would make a ton of sense. I don't think they're going to trade for Derek Carr. I, I don't think that's in their alley. 
Uh, otherwise, outside of that, I, I still I really like Washington still for all these quarterbacks that could potentially be available. I, I think they've got some young weapons there. They've got a defense that they can play with, and I think Ron Rivera is a great head coach. So I, I would say Washington would be number two on my list for Derek Carr outside of San Francisco. And then just one more because I, we've talked about it too. I, Jets are kind of in that same conversation for me as Washington. I, I think they're more in that category of chasing Aaron Rodgers. But Jets would be up there on my list, too, if I'm Derek Carr. So the team that I'm going to throw out there has currently a quarterback that they could bring back next year. But I'm not sure if they're going to or not. Baltimore. Nope. Oh. That would not be a play. Like, the funny thing about Baltimore, that's one of the least appealing options to me if I'm a quarterback. Because your offense is built around running. Yeah, you have no weapons on that offense other than Mark Andrews. And we've seen when Lamar Jackson is not there, man, that team completely plummets offensively. Come on, man. They got Tyler Huntley to the Pro Bowl. Not ideal. The Giants. Giants would be a spot that I would be super interested in because of the coaching. Now, they would have to add some weapons to that team. They don't have a ton. But they were able to develop some guys this past season. Isaiah Hodgins is a solid, like... He's a number three option instead of a number two. I I like that for him. Darius Slayton's a free agent. I think they're going to try to be able to um, replace him with somebody else that's a little better. But the Giants would be a spot that I think has a lot of appeal. The other one that I don't think gets enough talk is the Carolina Panthers. I actually think that's a pretty appealing spot to be able to go right now. Frank Reich is a respected head coach. You do have uh, DJ Moore, who's a very good wide receiver. They have a pretty solid offensive line, and you got a great defense, and you're in a terrible division. So I think Carolina is a more appealing destination than what a lot of people are discussing right now. You mentioned San Francisco. I think if you're any quarterback, that would be the spot that you would want to go to. Apparently, unless your name is Aaron Rodgers. Got any news you want to share with us? Not going to San Fran. You look great with a Cowboy star on your helmet. Man, I can't believe Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was at a charity golf tournament yesterday. And if you missed that, was asked, any news you want to share with us? And his response was, I'm not going to be playing in San Fran. Like the challenge. What are we doing, man? If you're Aaron Rodgers, like, why? Just why? I am so ready for this storyline to be over. I This is... This is now to the place. We mentioned this previously. He's at the same spot that Brett Favre was at the end of his career. Will he retire or won't he? The only thing he hasn't done is actually retire and then change his mind. Brett Favre did that like seven different times by the end of his career. I'm fully prepared for Rodgers this offseason to pull a Brady, where one week he's retired and then the next week he says, you know what, actually, I think I want to play for the Carolina Panthers now. It's like, what? You were retired, man. We were done with you. That miserable you-know-what. But uh, this is where we're at. I am fully... I I am ready for this storyline to be over. See, I enjoy the juicy details. Really? Yeah, like yesterday, I found it funny that he said he didn't want to go to San Francisco. At a charity golf event not that far away from there. Yeah, I enjoy... I enjoy... That aspect of it. I am tired of seeing him in the media in terms of always saying, oh, you know, I don't know what my future holds. But, uh, you know, I didn't mind yesterday. Yesterday, I'm fine with. Next thing up, as we go through some NFL quick hitters, there was some odds yesterday that were released on where DeAndre Hopkins will play next season. The favorite is the New England Patriots. Now, I want to add a disclaimer to this. A lot of the time you see this stuff getting passed along on social media and people are like, oh, the Patriots are the favorites to land DeAndre Hopkins. Let's be very clear. 
the limits on these are so incredibly low. So, like, you could probably bet $100 on this and then you'll get limited by a book. And the reason why is because they have no idea. Just like you and me, they don't know where these players are going to end up. But neither here nor there. Let's use them for entertainment value. The Patriots were the favorite at three and a half to one. This one surprised me. The Chiefs were listed second at plus 450. And then you've got the Cardinals just sticking in Arizona at five to one. Uh, the Packers, the Ravens, Bears, etc. There's a bunch of other teams that are listed as long shots. Tanner, where do you think DeAndre Hopkins ends up next season? Do you have a favorite right now? So I do like the Patriots one that they list at the favorite because I do think with uh, getting an offense, an OC and uh, drawing a blank on his name now, uh, Bill O'Brien. At, in New England, a guy that's competent in calling offensive plays, unlike Patricia, and I'm still high on Mac Jones. I, I do like New England. I think New England makes sense. They've got the draft capital to make a trade and go get him. I think some of these other teams are kind of the, like the Giants, for example. They almost need to do two things. They need to go out and get Carr to then go get uh, DeAndre Hopkins because he just doesn't make sense to be there with Daniel Jones as his pairing mate. I, I One team I'll throw out here that I, I think makes a ton of sense is the Bears. Yes. I, I, I the love one. the idea of getting Justin Fields a weapon. And if I had to pick one team, though, I think Patriots would be high on my list, probably second. Bears are number one for me. I think the Bears make a lot of sense. I think the Giants make a ton of sense as well. If I'm New York and I need a weapon to be able to go along with my quarterback that I'm trying to build around, maybe it's Daniel Jones, maybe it's somebody else, whatever they decide to do at the quarterback position, you have to surround him with talent. And DeAndre Hopkins, for all the faults, and, you know, he was suspended last year for PEDs at the beginning of the season, makes a lot of money. He's going to make even more whenever he signs his new contract. He's an excellent wide receiver who's going to make your quarterback look better. So I think those are the two teams that immediately stand out to me. If you're a team that has a young quarterback and a lack of weapons, Patriots uh, looking at the Bears, Giants, one of those types of teams, this is what you got to do. We saw it with the Eagles. They surrounded Jalen Hurts with more talent. Look at what we've seen as the result. The Bengals went out, and when they had Joe Burrow, got Jamar Chase. The Miami Dolphins, we think Tua can be the guy. Let's go get Tyreek Hill. Surround your quarterback with the necessary talent, even if that means overpaying for it. Go get yourself a big-time wide receiver. If you're the Bears, you got to be kicking yourself, though, right now for going out and making that trade for Chase Claypool at the deadline. Mm when you could have maybe used that 30-second overall pick in this year's draft to be able to trade for DeAndre Hopkins instead. Tell me you want one or the other, I would be easily be taking DeAndre Hopkins. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues' biggest issue this season, we've been talking about this for a while, stems from their previous decisions on the blue line. Jeremy Rutherford had a great piece earlier today talking about uh, what Blues fans think of this season and some of the things that have gone wrong. We'll share some of his answers from that fan survey and how we think they apply to the team's both short and long-term future. That's all coming up at the top of the hour, but coming up next 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Ask us anything sports or otherwise here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 
Jackson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's do a game of Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get your questions in sports or otherwise. Let's start with this from the 314. T-Bone, assuming that the Blues pick up four or five draft picks at the deadline, how many of those do you think they would use as trade capital? And how many do you think they would actually use to draft the player? So let's say they get two first round picks at the deadline a second round pick and two thirds I think that's probably a, a fair way to to assume but if they had that as their draft capital that they acquire how do you think they would utilize them so I think they would l- use at least trade one of the first rounders I could see where they hold on to one to draft somebody maybe because it's supposed to be a really deep draft so I'll say they trade one first rounder the second and one of the third i think they would probably trade if they get four or five picks they would trade three of the five and maybe it is the two first rounders and maybe one of the thirds but i think they'll trade three of the five picks they would accumulate then i'm right in line with you i think right around three of them i think they would like to use two first round picks so if they had three i think they would trade one of them and then the it's really the second and the third round picks that could be used as as trade capital as well so I think about three of them end up going elsewhere if they they were able to get five. Uh, from the 314, guys, who do you think would be scarier to get in a fight with? Jamie Rivers or Kerry Davis? Uh, my answer is no to both of those. I'd agree there. Though Kerry scares me because I think he could still bench press me. I, I would go with Jamie because he was a hockey player and those guys fight for a living back when he played. I mean, Kerry Davis literally put his nose in a hole where there's a 300 pound man yeah, ready yeah. to destroy that him. is like, that like, is pure i don't want either that is these. pure toughness but you know he never swung swung in the fist i don't think that Do often you see carrie yeah i know i just said he could bench press me <laughs> i he but said I, he was squatting like 600 pounds in college and his college coach came over to him and said no more that's enough <laughs> i don't i don't need that but he you can know, squat you me and alex simultaneously and not break a sweat if, i don't need that if you can fight while on skates and you can really kick someone's you know what off of them so i i would say i'd be a little uh, bit more fearful of jamie than carrie i think i i don't want either of these the answer is none of the above but if i had to choose i think i could talk jamie off of the ledge easier than i could talk carrie off of the ledge Oh, no so way. I, I guess I would go carry. I just had I, I worked with Jamie for, you know, a year and a half. So I, I think feel that's like why you've got less of a chance to talk him off the edge. <laughs> I've never seen carry angry. So I would just assume that I could talk carry off the edge than Jamie. Yeah, I don't know I, if I've seen Jamie angry, but I, I don't need to fight either of these two individuals. I, I would do everything that I could to make sure that never happens in my life. I'm a lover, not a fighter, guys. Uh, from the 314, BK and Tanner, if you weren't doing sports radio or working in sports in general, what career path would you have chosen? I've mentioned this before. I don't need to spend too much time on it. Uh, I probably would have been a teacher. That's always been my backup plan um, if I didn't make it in this industry honestly if i'm just full disclosure if i wasn't hosting a show by the time that i turned 30 i was going to get into teaching um that was always my plan because frankly you just don't make enough money in this business when you're not hosting to continue going along so yeah i would have been a teacher i think teacher's probably my backup plan too you know my mom my mom's a teacher so i've got kind of the background there and and i also did the kind of after school tutoring when I was in high school and in college, and I really enjoyed it, so I probably would have done teaching. Another one that I would just kind of kick the tires on, being a flight attendant seems like fun. Yeah. I, I might do that. I don't know. We'll see. That seemed 
that seems like a great career path for you. Uh, from I, I prefer you stay at this one, though, if we could keep you here for a little while. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, who do you think will be the top three quarterbacks when all is said and done in the upcoming NFL draft? I guess there's two ways to look at this. Who do I think will be selected as the top three quarterbacks versus who, I, who do I think will be the three best personally? Let's go with who do I think will be the three best out of this year's draft. If I was selecting for a team, I would take Bryce Young first. I think he has the best upside plus current belief in terms of like the the prospects, who they are right now. So I would go Bryce Young one. I'm probably going to be out on a limb on this one, but I have no idea what Anthony Richardson is going to be the former Florida quarterback. No idea. I think he might be special, though. Like, when I watch, there's Jalen Hurts highlights on right now. Do I think he can be a Jalen Hurts with a bigger arm? Yes, I absolutely think that is in the range of outcomes. Do I think that he could be a backup quarterback by year two? 100% I think that is in play. I would probably take him second because I think the upside is so incredibly high that he would be the guy that I would bet on there. I also think he needs to go to the right situation. So, he would be two for me and then just throw a dart on Stroud versus uh, Will Levis. I have no idea which one of those will end up being better. I would probably place my bet on Stroud, but I get the argument for it. Basically, the argument for Levis is the same argument that I just made for Richardson. So I would agree with Bryce Young one. I, I do think he's going to be kind of a higher upside Kyler Murray. That's kind of how he reminds me of where he's smaller statue quarterback. Get outside the park at park it get outside the pocket have a great arm i would actually go levis too i i i keep saying this i i think levis reminds me so much not in terms of what i think he's going to end up being but he reminds me of the justin harbert situation where he was really good the year prior to entering the draft and then the year of it was like well i don't know what i'm looking at this isn't the same quarterback i saw two years ago so i would say levis too i would go stroud three i richardson to me just feels and again it's not based on talent but it's kind of the story of hey there's a whole lot of upside and he's probably not truly ready for the nfl draft but teams are going to be willing to take a gamble on him he reminds me so much of what kaiser was when he went into college where the coaches were like yeah he's not ready to be an nfl prospect but everybody said well we'll take a gamble on him i think who was it was it cleveland or green bay took him like 24th overall that's what Richardson reminds me of. Different style of play, but I can see where it's like, yeah, he's not ready, but we'll gamble on the upside, and then it just doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, it, the thing is, there's so, like, if I'm arguing for Richardson, I go to the Josh Allen career path. If I'm, if I'm arguing against him, there's 12 other guys that I could go to, you know? So it's, it's just a matter of which side do you think is more likely. We'll get out of here on this. This is a report that just came out, uh, according to The Athletic. Bengals wide receiver T Higgins could be traded for a top draft pick this offseason. If the team can't reach an extension with him, he is asking for quote outrageous money end quote. Oh, interesting. These are the kinds of decisions that start to happen when your quarterback is making $50 million a year. This is why I was always going to be curious to see, okay, what do the Chargers look like when Herbert is making $50 million a year, which is coming? What do the Bengals look like when Burrow is making $50 million a year? I think that the next team to kind of be in this really advantageous situation, keep an eye on the Jaguars. I'll be interested to see what they look like over the next couple of seasons because they're going to be the team that has the advantage that the Bengals have had over the last couple of seasons. Um, 
This will be interesting. This will be one worth keeping an eye on. I, I would have to imagine they end up getting something done or just keeping T. Higgins for the time being. They've still got him for another year under his rookie deal. So I, yeah. I would hold on to him for now. And then if you need to franchise tag him next year and then trade him. But this is interesting. This I, is worth keeping an eye on. I wonder if teams like we talked about where D-Hop could go. I, I wonder if a team like Chicago with massive cap space could really throw some assets at a deal like this because if you're trading I out trade a, one, a first round pick next year the bears next so 2024 first round pick for uh hop or for higgins the other thing they could do if you're trading down from that first just overall about pick, to bring up now you've got some extra draft capital to be able and to i heard up. someone bring up an interesting theory of what if chicago trades with houston to get out of one and moves to two and then trades out of two to move down in the draft so they could have a ton of assets Keep an eye on them. That would make a lot of sense. You talk about bringing in a weapon for Justin Fields. That'd be a lot of fun. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of something or nothing. If you've got a scenario and you're wondering, hey, is this something or is it a whole lot of nothing? We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to throw those our way. But coming up next, Jeremy Rutherford had a great piece earlier today over on The Athletic. It was a fan survey on basically what's gone wrong with the Blues this year and who do you blame? I'll tell you the person that most people blame for this, the people that most people blame for this. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When Alex Petrangelo left, and people are going to think that I'm blowing this out of proportion, I really did feel like it was when a couple other Blues greats left. And I realize Alex Petrangelo isn't uh, Brett Hall. He's not Chris Pronger. But if you were to sit down and write a book about players who left the organization, he would have to be included in that book and his story and, and the why and what happened and how could they think like this. That was Jeremy Rutherford earlier today on The Morning After. If you missed any of their conversation, check it out of their podcast page. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll play a game of something or nothing. You guys can get those scenarios in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. I think what JR said there is what we've talked about in the past, the original sin, right? When you look back on the Blues, how did we get here? How did we get to the place where... During this five-year window that Doug Armstrong has described with Ryan O'Reilly at the the center of it all, how do we get to the place where we're already talking about trading off assets in the middle of what is supposed to be this run? I think the answer is pretty clear. It's the decisions that were made on the blue line. It was letting Petro walk, deciding to give out long-term contracts to Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, Nick Letty, and Tori Krug. 
And then everything that that meant for the rest of your roster construction, not being able to bring back David Perron, um, not going out this offseason and adding to the scoring punch and instead just hoping that it remained the same with Jake Neighbors or Logan Brown being guys that contributed in meaningful ways. All of that is a result of decisions that have made in the been made in the past. And so as I was looking over on Jeremy Rutherford's piece earlier today on The Athletic, which is well worth your time, uh, it's a Blues fan survey results. Blame to go around and confidence levels are down. That's the title of this piece over on The Athletic. He got more than 2,500 votes from fans on a bunch of different questions. Who's to blame for the Blues drop-off? What aspect of Armstrong's work has had the biggest impact on the lack of success? All of it, to me, Tanner, comes back to two things. One, Doug Armstrong's decisions have led to this. And two, specifically, the blue line is where those issues lie. You look at who the current Blues player is that... Blues fans would like to take back the contract, a do-over on that deal. 41% of fans say Colton Pareko. 24% of fans say Tory Krug. 13% of fans say Marco Scandella. Guys all play the same position. feel bad for Scandella. The poor guy hadn't been on the ice all year, and he got a lot of votes. Which Blues player who left has been missed the most this year? 60% of Blues fans said Alex Petrangelo. You look at um, some of the other questions here, uh, like... For example, who is most to blame for the Blues drop-off this season? 66% of people say the players, which makes sense. 31% of people say Doug Armstrong. Nobody's really blaming Craig Berube or his staff for this. And again, nor should they. I think this all comes back to the decisions that have been made, and there's there's no take-backs. There's nothing that you can do to make this right other than hopefully the next time around, when you get a... the the term generational is used so often but I think it applies here a generational player on the blue line here in St. Louis you can't let them walk and that's what led to all of these different issues that they're having right now is you had an A plus on the blue line and you tried to replace him with four B's and those just it doesn't work that way in the NHL especially at that position yeah, you know, the Petrangelo one, I agree, you know, the original sin, and it's just led to that domino effect of continuing, and I think we said this last week with Alex or two weeks ago, it, the Blues have felt like they've been just chasing their own tail, trying to find that number one defenseman, and it's led to them trying to lock up guys on these long-term deals. And, you know, I don't think the Pareko deal looks as bad if you were paying him to be a third-pairing defenseman, and it wasn't eight years. But And this is where Alex disagreed on Monday – they are paying him like the number one defenseman, and it's maybe not so much in the AAV, but it's in the years. When he gave him eight years, the maximum length that you can give a player in your system on a contract extension tells me the Blues thought he was supposed to be this next alpha dog. And and that is where I think their other big gamble was, was if you're going to let Petro walk, you have to be right on whoever it is that's going to fill his shoes. And they haven't been. They were wrong on Colton Pareko to an extent. I, I don't think Colton Pareko's been the one main issue for the blue line. But if you think he's going to fill the shoes of Alex Petrangelo, you've got to be right. And that's where they were wrong. He just has not played to that level of being that alpha dog. And if you're going to let a number one defenseman walk and you're wrong, it gets to your point of you've got four Bs and you're chasing your tail and trying to fix it. And now they're just at the point where it's, okay, well, we've tried everything. It's it's hard for us to really add more defensemen into this and see if we can fix it. Now we got to see if we can somehow get out of contracts and try and retool it. So they're in a tough spot on the blue line, but the blue line is really the one thing because I think if they had Petro on this team, let's just say Petro was here over, I don't know, I'll use Tory Krug because he was signed in that same offseason. Sure. Do I think they still would have defensive issues? 
Yes, but do I think they would be as bad? No, I because you have that number one guy that can help propel someone like a Nick Letty that he would be paired with, for example. And, and you also, like, it just changes so much else about what happened afterwards. Like, if you have Alex Petrangelo, let's say they just re-signed Alex Petrangelo before that season where he left the following offseason. I have no idea if they make that deal for Justin Falk or not. And this is not me sitting here saying that Justin Falk is the problem with the Blues right now. I, I don't believe that to be true. But if you don't make the deal for Falk and he's not making $6.5 million per year, maybe now you have Petro and Pareko as your top two defensemen on the right side. You go into the next offseason, and instead of signing a long-term deal at $6.5 million for Tory Krug, maybe now you're putting more of your your eggs in a different basket and you've got a defenseman that you signed for, I don't know, three, four million bucks for a couple of years. You just, the flexibility completely changes. And then you've got probably Marco Scandella on that left side there still. And so instead of spending, you know, $12 million, $10.5 million for those top two left-handed defensemen, now you're spending like six. Guess what you could fit into there? Another $6 million that goes towards your forwards. And now you're bringing back David Perron. You're getting another $2 million forward that you can put into this mix. It just, it changed everything when they decided to let Alex Petrangelo walk about the way that they were built for both the short and long term. I do find this to be interesting, though, Tanner. The Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646 from the 636. Guys, I think everybody is overreacting to one bad season. We were an injury to Bennington last year away from making another run to the Cup, Perron being gone would not have stopped the defense from taking away these backdoor tap-ins. I think this is all a little bit of overreaction. I don't feel that way, but I understand why a fan would. And the reason why is going back to something that I heard Jamie talking about yesterday on the Fastlane. And he was asked by BT, you know, what I don't understand, BT said this, is this is the same defensive core as they had at the end of last season. It's the same group. And yet last season they were playing pretty well. And this season it's been an atrocity what they're doing defensively. Like you look at the goals that have been allowed. Talked about this with um, with Curbs the other day. They've allowed four more goals in like 23 of their 25 losses on the season. Why is that? What's gone awry? And I think the answer is we overestimated what that defensive core was last year. I think sometimes a small sample size can produce a good result that is not sustainable. And I think last year we saw a small sample size of Nick Letty fitting in well and Tory Krug fitting into his role and Justin Falk being one of the better defensemen in the NHL, honestly, in the second half of the season. And we're like, okay, this is going to work out long term. Didn't sustain. Letty's been just okay this year. Uh, I would say that Colton Pareko has regressed this season. He's played more like a third pairing defenseman than a top pairing defenseman. I would say Justin Falk is playing okay. I think it's definitely worse than it was a year ago. And Tory Krug has been hurt too much this season, once again. So I, I think last year was really, potentially, uh, the overreaction in the positive way. And this year is a little closer to the reality of what this four, top four def- defensive pairings looks like. You know, I, I think I agree with you because I, I keep referring back to, yes, they were winning last year. Yes, there weren't as many games where they're giving up four or more goals. But, I mean, you look at the underlying numbers, they're a lot of the same from last year. You you look at slot shots. You look at high danger opportunities allowed against. They were giving up the same, almost the same as they were this year. The, the difference last year 
was they just got unbelievable goaltending once they went to Huso, and he was hot there in the middle of the season. And that's when they really started winning. They started off okay, and then you kind of had that lull where Bennington wasn't playing well. And then Huso got hot, and it just kind of propelled them into that into that playoff picture. And they had better five-on-five scoring to kind of make up for any defensive woes that they had. So I, I think they're more of what they are this year than the team that they were last year because they just have so many. The underlying numbers tell, I think, the full story of, yes, you were winning last year, but when you're having those same same issues when you look at the advanced analytics as you do this year, I, I think that's telling. I think that's telling that this is truly who you are and you're going to have to outscore your problems. And they did that last year, and mm-hmm. they got just unbelievable goaltending. I mean, we can agree. Husa was outstanding in the middle of the season. Bennington was outstanding until he got hurt in the playoffs. This year, though I don't think Bennington's been the problem, he hasn't played at the level he was at in the playoffs. And you don't have Husso as your backup to play as well as he did last year. So I think this is who they truly are. Yeah, I, I think it's closer to what they truly are. Like, even if you're somebody that's higher on this Blues defensive core than I am right now, I think this is closer to the truth than what they were at the end of last season. Somebody on the text line brings up a good point as well. Like there's two of these guys. I think that the problem was last year, uh, they vastly outperformed their underlying numbers. And this year they're performing to those underlying numbers. I think that's absolutely correct. It's kind of reminding me of uh, people get mad when we bring up the batting average on balls in play, right? If it's, a Cardinals player that is vastly outproducing what they should be. Hey, you know what? Perfect example of this pitcher, Dakota Hudson, Dakota Hudson back in, what was it? 2019, that, that miraculous season when he had a bunch of wins, he wasn't pitching that well. You look at the walk rate and it was among the highest in all of major league baseball, but he had a very good defense behind him. He had a bunch of ground balls go his way and the results were great. But if you look at that in the long term, that is not something that will sustain. It's not something you can expect to be the same the following year. That's basically what happened with the Blues defensive core last year. They got lucky in some regards. Fortunate maybe is a better way to frame it. And this year they're not getting lucky. They're not getting fortunate. In fact, in some ways they're getting unlucky with some of the ways that they've been producing uh, defensively. The other thing that somebody mentioned, and Tanner, I know this is something that you've talked about in the past as well, the thing that people need to do is give a lot of credit last year to what we saw from Ville Husso. He was somebody that made up for a lot of the mistakes that the Blues had, and this year we're not seeing that same thing happening in goal. I think there's some truth to that, man. I'm not saying that Jordan Bennington has been bad this season. He hasn't been. But last year, Ville Husso was performing like one of the best goalies in the NHL for like a two-month stretch. He was last year essentially for a stretch, what Jordan Bennington was for you in 2019. Yeah. It's crazy to think that way, but, but it's true. He, he was amazing for a stretch of games there. And if not for that, I, I don't know where this team would have ended up last year. They might have been so far behind as we got closer to the deadline that they were more similar to this than they were to the team that ended up adding Nick Letty at the trade deadline. So I do think a lot of that was Ville Husso masked some of the mistakes that they were having and then you had Jordan Bennington get hot. And so it's just that made you look a lot better than you actually were. And you had an offense that kind of masked those problems, too. I mean, like offensively, five on five, they were good. Power play was great for them last year. So even in games in which you'd win, like, say they gave up three goals last year, the Blue, you felt like the Blues could win that game 4-3 because their offense, you had nine twenty goal scores. I, I And I'm not saying that that takes away from the defense and looking at the offense at this season, but the offense just isn't the same five on five. The offense, the power play just hasn't been the same since Perron has left. They don't have that one time shot that they can turn to. So 
it just highlights the defense even more and kind of shows you more of what their true colors were when you put them on, you know, a, they're not an average offensive team because they're one of the worst goal-scoring teams in hockey too. But if they had an average offense, you would still be seeing the same issues. The other thing, and uh, I just got a text on this as well, like you look at the way that they performed last year on the special team, specifically on the power play, 27%. You know, the second best power play in the NHL last yeah. year. That. That helps mask a lot of your issues at five on five. If you have a situation where your goalie is just standing on his head for basically a 30 or 40 game stretch uh, starting in December for them a year ago, and your power play is performing at a top of the league level, that can mask a whole lot of issues that are taking place at five on five because that is how you outscore those issues that are happening, especially when your goalie's standing on his head. Boom, you get a power play, you get that in the back of the net, you're feeling a lot better. And Again, that's just not a sustainable way to build for three to five years. It can work for a season. That is not something that you can count on to once again take place the next year. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we had Kyle Reese on the show a couple of days ago, and we asked him about Jordan Walker. What are realistic expectations for him this year? He just posted something on Twitter I find fascinating. If Jordan Walker had the same career as J.D. Drew, would that live up to your current expectations of who Jordan Walker is supposed to be? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. But coming up next, something or nothing here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Into something or nothing. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get your scenarios in. All right, Tanner, something or nothing. Saw this one yesterday. I'll kick us off here. NFL MVPs are 0 and 9 in the Super Bowl since 1999. That's Kurt Warner's MVP season. Since then, they are 0-9 when they make it to the Super Bowl and play in the game. That's eight different quarterbacks and a running back. Patrick Mahomes, of course, is expected to be named the MVP this season. Tanner, is this something or nothing in your mind? I'm going to go with nothing. I, uh, I say this is one little happy coincidence because you don't just magically draw up a game plan that stops the MVP. And typically, and I'd have to go back and look, but I bet those guys did not play just absolutely horrendous in that Super Bowl. I think this is just one of those kind of fluky stats where I, you don't stop an MVP. Like, I, do I think the Eagles are going to shut down Patrick Mahomes? No, I think Mahomes is going to have a really good game. If the Chiefs lose, I don't think it's going to be Patrick Mahomes' fault. So I'm going with nothing. I'm going nothing as well. I don't think that there is anything to this. If the Chiefs end up losing the Super Bowl, though, I'm going to blame this. It's the MVP curse. That's going to be what I, did it. I think if they lose, I'm I'm blaming you for a BKO somehow. I, I, I saw, I think he was, he tweeted something out earlier today like, oh, this is going to be a shootout. And if that's the case, it favors the Chiefs. I, I already highlighted that tweet right I believe, there. I believe that. I You look at the Eagles schedule this year, and it's going to become one of the conversations that we have next week, if it hasn't already nationally. The Eagles just have not played, and this is not me saying they don't deserve to be in the Super Bowl. They do, but they just have not played a very difficult schedule. I remember talking to you and Alex about this, I think like around their bye week, midway through the season. We're like, man, look at their schedule. It's Pittsburgh, Houston, Washington, Indy, Tennessee, the Giants twice, Chicago, New Orleans. 
there just were not very many quality opponents. We wondered, could they go undefeated at the time because of how weak their schedule was? If you look at the best offenses that the Eagles faced this year, it's Detroit. They allowed 35 points in that game. Dallas, they allowed 40 points in that game. And Green Bay, they allowed 33 in that game. I think that's kind of what I expect from the Chiefs in this game. I would be pretty surprised if the Chiefs don't score at least 30. I also think the Eagles match up pretty well against the Chiefs defense, though. This is not me saying it's going to be a cakewalk for the Chiefs to win. I think this is a game where if you're planning to win, you got to score 30 plus, 34 or more points. I think that's what it's going to take to be able to win the Super Bowl. So can't wait. Can't wait to watch it. BKO right there. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for something or nothing. If you guys want to go ahead and throw uh, your scenarios in here, uh, let's go with this one. Guys, something or nothing. The bet, the second best quarterback in the a- a- NFC next year is likely to be Dak Prescott. And that is why Sean McVay is coming back to coach the Rams. Oh, um, Sean McVay looked around the landscape of the NFC and decided, you know what? I think there's an opening here for us to be able to get back into Super Bowl contention next year, basically. I'll I'll say there's something there. I, I think Sean McVay w- wanted to come back kind of twofold. One, I, I just think it's in his DNA. He want, He's a winner, wants to be coaching. And I think he sees that the NFC is weak, and if the Rams are healthy, they have a decent shot. Maybe not to win the NFC West, depending on what San Francisco does at quarterback, but to go on a run and, and potentially get back to the Super Bowl. I, but the other the other part of it for Sean McVay, I think, is just you know he didn't want the he didn't want to go out like that where they were just atrocious atrocious last year. I, I think he wants to come back and he wants if he's going to leave at the end of the season, I think he wants to leave you know saying I got to the playoffs and maybe we didn't go on a run, but at least we got there. So, but I, I do think there is something there. I think he can see that hey Matthew Stafford has the potential to be one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFC, and if that's the case, then we've got a chance to go on a legitimate run. Um, I think this is something. I think the reason why Sean McVay is back next year is because he sees how weak the NFC is. And he says to himself, if we, if we end up getting quarterback back, if we end up getting Cooper cup back at a hundred percent and we can fix this offensive line, I don't think it should surprise anybody. If the Rams end up being the number one seed in the NFC next year. I don't think that's crazy. So I I think that this is definitely something. I think next year is going to be a big time rebound season for the LA Rams. I don't love their roster, but who do you love in the NFC right now? It's a super weak conference. Uh, All right, guys, something or nothing. The Blues downfall all started when they decided not to re-sign Pat Maroon. I, I don't connect those two things. I know that I'm an outlier in this regard. Should they have re-signed Pat Maroon? Yes. Do I think that the Blues issues are a result of not signing Pat Maroon? No. I think the bigger issue there, if you're looking at one player that departed, um, and we talked about this in the last segment, I think the bigger issue is the Petro conversation. But I, I do not point back to Pat Maroon. That's that's where I am. I, I say nothing. Would you like to have Maroon back on the team? Would you like to have re-signed him? Yes, but like if I were to just say, hey, you don't bring back Petro, but you bring back Maroon and put him on this current team, are the Blues a playoff team? 
no, they, they've got too many, too many big issues. If they had Petro on this team, are they potentially a playoff team? Maybe, maybe they're better, but are they still there? I don't know. I, I still look back at the Petro one because of that domino effect that it had following in the blue, still chasing their tail, trying to find a number one defenseman. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, I thought this was a great question by Kyle Reese, who writes about the prospects for uh, the Cardinals. He asked if Jordan Walker had the same career as J.D. Drew. Would that match up to the hype that you're currently expecting out of Jordan Walker? We'll talk about that and just how important Walker is to the Cardinal success in 2023. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. win it right like everyone knows this he's uh uh he's superhuman jordan walker is one of the most exciting prospects i've ever seen play the game in my entire life he's the ball as hard as any young man i've ever seen in my entire life and you know hopefully things keep trending in a positive direction because if they do um i truly believe he could be one of the next st louis cardinal hall of famers i i i see that 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 in his career that was ryan ludwick on with the guys last week as i was out it's cool i don't mind that they talked to ryan ludwick when i wasn't here once again no 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 harm no foul here that's Tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn 314-399-9646 comfort service text line i want your guys feedback on this conversation because i think that we are doing with jordan walker what we tend to do with most of the cardinals prospects which is if that guy is not the next Albert Pujols, it is suddenly going to become a disappointment, which is hugely unfo- unfair to Jordan Walker. We never do that. Yesterday, Tanner, I saw a tweet that just blew my mind. So one of the Cardinals fan accounts put out a question. You're guaranteed to have both players for the rest of their careers. Who are you taking? Jordan Walker or Mike Bleeping Trout, who has been the best player in baseball for close to a decade now. Most of the responses, 52% of them, said they would rather have Jordan Walker for the rest of their career. That's surprising. Then, earlier today, Kyle Reese put out on Twitter another, I I think, fair question. If Jordan Walker had the same career as J.D. Drew, would would that be considered a disappointment? to you 
65%, basically two thirds of the responses said, yeah, that would be disappointing. It would not match the hype from what he has been sold as. Tanner, J.D. Drew for his career was 25% above league average offensively. The average season for J.D. Drew was 28 doubles, 5 triples, 25 home runs, 82 RBIs, and 10 stolen bases. He was a really, really good player, a productive player for the entirety of his major league career, finished having a 14-year career where he he was good basically everywhere he went. Every year you could expect 20 home runs and 60 or more RBIs. I think we have gotten out a little above our skis, in front of our skis, on Jordan Walker and what reasonable expectations should be for him. If Jordan Walker becomes J.D. Drew, that is a success. Now, that is not the 90th percentile outcome. That is not what his ceiling is. His ceiling is becoming, I would hope, one of the you know top 10 outfielders in Major League Baseball. J.D. Drew, though, would be a a pretty damn good outcome for any prospect, including Jordan Walker. When you see this stuff where it is, yeah, I would rather have Jordan Walker for the rest of his career than Mike Trout. I would not be okay with Jordan Walker becoming J.D. Drew. What is your reaction immediately? I I think fans are going to be in for a bit of a rude awakening because I do think he's going to go through some struggles. I I said this a couple days ago. I think... You need to give Jordan Walker a two- to three-year grace period for him to learn at the major league level. If if I had to say right now, would you take him being J.D. Drew? Absolutely, I would take him being J.D. Drew. Those numbers that you mentioned, his average of you know 25 home runs in a season would have been third on the Cardinals last year. The average of 82 RBIs in a season would have been third on the Cardinals last year. Oh, him being 25% above league average would have put him right about fourth on the Cardinals last year behind only the three guys that were really good for him in Arnado Goldie and Albert Pujols. So I... I do think that I think it's fair to have some excitement and some hype around him because he is getting national attention. Sure, um, you know, with the NL, a lot of people saying he could be NL Rookie of the Year. That's fair. I, I think it's it's fine to have that excitement. But if he struggles, I don't think you should be like turning the page automatically. You know, we're in July and he has to be sent back down to the minors. Going well, he was a bust. The front office was wrong. You can go ahead and put him in trade packages. No, he's going to need time. There's going to be a learning period, I think. There are not many players that come up and do what Rodriguez did in Seattle or what uh, Michael Harris did in Atlanta last year. There's very few guys that can do that. And maybe Walker ends up being one of them, but I'm not going to have that expectation for him to do that. I guess maybe this is a question that I would have. What are you expecting from Jordan Walker? Like what? What are if if JD Drew would be a disappointment? And I just looked this up. So there have been a total of four hundred and sixty-six different outfielders that have a qualified number of at bats in the last twenty years. Among those four hundred and sixty-six, JD Drew is thirty-second in OPS plus. Again, dating back to the uh, the two thousand season, he's a top ten percent in terms of the outcome that he's had offensively over the last 20 years offensively. He was really good, really good. He was as good offensively as Kyle Tucker. He's up there with like Bobby Abreu and Brian Reynolds and Jose Bautista. Like these are really good offensive players. If that wouldn't be considered a success for Jordan Walker, man, what would be? Like what what are we reasonably thinking if he hits this then I will be satisfied. Is it like Brandon Nimmo but healthy? 
Is it Ronald Acuna Jr.? He's got to be that to be considered a success. Is it Mookie Betts? Is it hitting like Jim Edmonds while playing worse defense? I mean, I'm asking this in all sincerity. What is a success for Jordan Walker if we aren't willing to accept the J.D. Drew stat line? What do you where do you think it falls, Tanner, for you? I, or I guess for, for listeners, because we're different. I, I would take the J.D. Well, I, I keep seeing a lot of texts now coming in ever since I said, you know, there's not a lot of guys that could be Julio Rodriguez. I, I think that's what they want. I think they want a guy that's going to come up and be an NL Rookie of the Year candidate right off that. Maybe not win NL Rookie of the Year, but be in that conversation. Be a guy. I mean, I'm looking at Rodriguez numbers. You want to talk about insane for a rookie. 284 average, 345 on base, a 509 slug, and 853 OPS, 47% above league average. I think once people heard the comment of John Mosaic, and I don't think he was copping him to him, but he said, you know, we haven't seen numbers like this since Albert Pujols. Right then and there it became, oh, boy, we've got the next best player. We've got the guy that's going to take the reins and be the next, as Ryan Ludwig said it, has the potential to be the next Cardinal Hall of Famer. So I, I think the expectation from fans is a guy that's going to potentially, I, I don't know if their expectation is for him to win the job out of camp or to be up sooner rather than later, but a guy that's going to be in the conversation for NL Rookie of the Year. And if he's not, even if he puts up a good year and ends up being, I don't know, say 15% above league average, I think fans will be disappointed if he's not getting the conversation of being an NL Rookie of the Year. Man, I we we got this from the 618. Guys, if he's not a 30-home run hitter with a 300 average and consistently hitting 100 RBIs, then I think that he is not considered to be a success here in St. Louis. I'll have to look... I can't imagine there are many people in all of Major League Baseball over the last decade that have met, met those thresholds. I mean, I, I think you're talking about Mike Trout and, like, I, who else is even hitting 300 regularly? I, it, it just doesn't happen anymore. So I, if those are the expectations, guys, I, I think we're setting him up for failure. And I think that's what's really unfair. And I think this happens to a lot of Cardinals prospects where we hear so much about them. They are they are put up on such a pedestal as the next big thing that we don't look at what the regular outcomes are. We only talk about the ceiling. The ceiling for Dylan Carlson is he becomes a 25 home run hitter that steals 25 bases and plays gold glove defense in, in right field. I still think that's his ceiling. The normal outcome for him though the average outcome for his career is he becomes a really nice player that's probably a 260 hitter gets on base at a decent clip and you know steals like 10 bags for you and every year he's an above average starter for you in the outfield that's a nice outcome to the guy that you probably have for the rest of his career in st louis and you feel good about it but i think that would be considered a disappointment at this point given what the expectations were when they were placed upon him as he was coming through the cardinals minor leagues I think we're doing the same thing right now to Nolan Gorman. I think the expectations for him were so out of whack because he was the first like big-time power hitter that came through the system in a long time that when he came up and he was this guy that struck out a bunch, it was like, well, this can't be. We can't have this guy in our lineup Thought every he was day. He's hitting for average in the minors. Guys, he's going to be a 240 hitter. He's going to get on base a little above 30% of the time, and he's going to hit you like 30 home runs plus a year. And that's who he is. The average outcome for him is that. That's a productive major league player. And you like having that guy in your lineup. Jordan Walker's average outcome is probably somewhere around J.D. Drew. Honestly, it's probably somewhere below J.D. Drew. And that's where I think things get so out of whack with some of these Cardinals prospects is 
if basically what people are saying is if he doesn't become a top five player in Major League Baseball, it is a disappointment. That is wildly unfair to the kid. He's 20 years old and just spent last season in double A and had a very comparable season. And I know people don't want to hear this. A very comparable season in double A to Dylan Carlson. Saying that guy needs to be a top five player or it's a complete failure is crazy to me. That is crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think that fans, by the time he reaches, I I think there will be some fans that will give him the grace period that I'm saying. But I think by the time he reaches that first year of arbitration, I I think there's going to be fans that say he's got to have some MVP MVP votes slash rookie of the year consideration. And that is a tough ask because there are not many guys. And again, I know some people some people said once I said it that why can't we have a Julio Rodriguez? Because they're so rare. I mean, yeah, there's are, a reason why we talked about Julio Rodriguez the way that we did last year. It's because that doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and most players that end up coming up for the, their first cup of tea in the majors will have a hole in their swing that will be exposed. And I, I think that's going to happen with Jordan Walker. When Kyle Reese told us, when I asked him the question, you know, is there a hole in his swing? And he said he struggles with breaking balls away. He's not seeing a lot of that in the minors. Minor leaguers don't have great breaking pitches. They they just get up to the majors with their fastball, and then they really fine-tune it once they get up to the big leagues. It's hard to find a minor leaguer with a good breaking ball. The moment teams learn that he can't hit that, that's it, all he's going to see. The moment teams learn Nolan Gorman could not hit the fastball up in the zone this year, what they do? They started peppering him with it, and it's tough for them to adjust on the fly in season. Do I think he's still going to have a really good year? Yeah, I think he's going to be above uh, league average. I, I think he could be. He was last season. Yeah, and I think, well, yeah, Nolan Gorman, but also Jordan Walker. Oh, yeah. I think Walker's going to be potentially 10 15% above league average this year, maybe better if he ends up hitting that ceiling right off the bat. But I, I do think it's unfair to say, you know what, he's got to win Rookie of the Year or be in that conversation to be a successful prospect. I don't think you can start having that conversation until we get about three, four, five years into his career. All right, so somebody on the text line said, and I, I wanted to look this up because I was curious how many players have actually fit into this criteria. He's got to hit at least 300, have 30-plus home runs, and 100-plus RBIs regularly. That's got to be your your consistent expectation out of – um, Jordan Walker for his career. Last five years. How many players do you think did that multiple times? Last five oh, years in Major League times? Baseball did that multiple times. Not every year, just, just multiple, multiple times, times over their last five seasons. 300 average, 30 or more home runs, 100 plus RBIs. I will say, I I could see Trout did it twice. I don't think Otani's hit 300 over the last two years. I'm just going to go... Trout. I don't think anybody else has done it multiple times. Judge has got the power, but I don't think he hits 300. I'll, I'll go I'll go to Trout. I think it's Trout, and that's it. You know how many times Mike Trout has done that? Over the last five years? Well, now I'm not thinking any. Mike Trout has actually, I'm going to look this up to make sure that this is correct, never done it in his entire major league career. I'm actually surprised by that. Uh, oh, that guy stinks. He has only hit, so... Let me check this. In 2016, baseball reference didn't catch this one. 2016, he was able. No, he was off by a home run. He hit 29 home runs, 100 RBIs, and a 315 batting average that season. Um, but other than that, he was never able to put all three of those in combination together. A 300 average, 30 home runs, and 100 RBIs. Hasn't done it in his major league career. The guys who have done it multiple times over the last five seasons, two of them play for the Cardinals, interestingly enough. Nolan Arenado did it twice, 2017 and 2019. Okay. Paul Goldschmidt. When did Goldie do it again? J.D. Martinez did it. Jose Abreu and Joey Votto. 
Wow. That's your list. I'm actually surprised there's that many on that list. This is really hard to accomplish, what we're talking about. Nobody does it annually, basically. Nobody in Major League Baseball. I mean, if Mike Trout's not doing it, then you know it's incredibly rare. And so when we talk about Jordan Walker, like we need to be reasonable with what the expectations are for him here in St. Louis. If he doesn't become an MVP, most guys don't become MVPs, including previous top prospects in Major League Baseball. And so as I look at all of the texts coming in right now and people are saying this is because of you guys, you're the ones that are putting these expectations on on him. No, I don't think that's fair to put on us because we've said all along, I expect Jordan Walker to struggle this year. One of the questions I wanted to get into is, how important is he for the Cardinals' success in 2023? My answer is he's not. He needs to be a complimentary piece this season. The expectations for like guys that are important, especially in the outfield, that's on Newt Bar. That's on Carlson. That's on O'Neal. That's on Burleson. That's on the guys that should be playing at their peak potential right now. Walker's not there. He's 20 years old. He played in double-A the entirety of last season. If he comes up and struggles, that should be the expectation. It's okay if he has a season this year like Nolan Gorman did last year. That's all right. That's how this typically goes. But the expectations have completely gone out of whack for Jordan Walker based on what we're seeing on the text line. And man, I am I'm worried for what it's going to look like if he doesn't come up and perform as if he's the next great player in Major League Baseball. Because, man, these uh, these expectations are wild for him. It's basically Mookie Betts or Ronald Acuna Jr. And if he's not those guys, then he's a disappointment. Guys, we got to reel it in a little bit. We got to reel it in. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what is the most compelling story for the Cardinals heading into spring training? We'll give you our answers to that. Want to hear from you as well. We'll also continue on this conversation as well. Uh, go ahead and send in your mic drops. What are you expecting from Jordan Walker? Let's set aside the career numbers for a moment this season, because I do think he's going to be up there among the most compelling storylines for the Cardinals heading into spring training. Where what, what are your expectations for him this season? Go ahead and get your mic drops in right now on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get to those coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, Tanner asked me a question last night that I want to get your guys' thoughts on. Did the Blues accidentally turn into a rebuild? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So if we use the word instability, another thing in that press conference that Doug Armstrong brought up was the word rebuild. Well, you're mediocre. And you're the fourth oldest team in the league. I would suggest, Kerry, that they're much closer to rebuild than Stanley Cup champion right now. That was Randy Carricker at the beginning of all of this. The avalanche that has ensued. Uh, he was on the front end of it. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll continue our conversation about Jordan Walker coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. If you guys want to get a mic drop in, you can do so on the 101 ESPN app. What do you think are reasonable expectations for Jordan Walker heading into the 2023 season. For his rookie year, we'll get to the big picture stuff. We'll do that later on. But for his rookie year, what are reasonable expectations? Leave us a mic drop. We'll get to those in about 10 minutes or so. But Tanner, yesterday we were talking and you asked me this question. I want to get you to start things out on this. 
Did the Blues accidentally fall into a rebuild? When you said that, what do you mean? Well, you know, I when you look at them in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, you know, I they've got some young talent that they've got that's been brought up, and I, I think they expected those guys to be that next wave that propels the uh, winning window forward. And right now it almost looks like they're going through learning curves rather than they are going through to be the guys that are going to push them forward into competition next or into uh, the winning window next. I, I think when you look at the St. Louis Blues, I – I think when you're talking about a rebuild, you're talking about young guys that are learning kind of on the fly and trying to be bad on purpose. I don't think they're trying to be bad on purpose. I think they thought that these younger players, these Kairos, the Thomases, uh, Pareko, were ready to take the next step when they weren't. They, were, they weren't ready to be the face of the franchise leading you down the winning window uh, in that next phase of it outside of Ryan O'Reilly and David Braun, and the Blues took that leap just a little bit too soon, and now you're looking at them and it's like, okay, well, we kind of have to backtrack, and they're kind of backtracking towards potentially running into accidentally into the rebuild, and also that just means you don't have the talent that you thought you had. If you're going into a rebuild by accident, it probably means you thought you had better talent than you actually did, and the guys aren't living up to expectations, which we've seen this season. Yeah, I... I think one of the things that we've heard a lot about, and Chris Kerber has probably been the one that's mentioned it the most, is how when you have these young players, you're going to see mistakes. They, they have to learn on the fly. And so guys like Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas uh, specifically, but there are others, you see them make these mistakes that are, are learning moments, they're teaching moments. And whether it be the end of the game with the goalie pulled or Jordan Cairo, I know one of the moments that a lot of people have latched on to is when he didn't get the red line the other night, and you, you got to get it in deep. And instead, you just kind of put it in there, and you have Justin Falk, who's trying to get off for a change, and he's already been on the ice for a minute and a half, and he gets tied into his own zone for another minute, and then it leads to a goal going the other direction uh, for the opposition. I don't know that they necessarily fell into this, though. I, I'm not going to give them that out. And the reason why is this. They knew what was coming, man. They signed these long-term deals for a reason. They believed in Justin Falk and Tori Krug and Colton Pareko and Nick Letty. And they signed Braden Shin and Brandon Saad to long-term contract extensions. They locked themselves into all of these things full well knowing what it could look like at the end of the road. I think what's surprising is that it's happened so soon. I think it's surprising that this year they're struggling like this. I thought after O'Reilly and Tarasenko left this offseason, and I've believed that that could be a possibility for a while now, I thought that's when you could maybe see it, where you're turning things over to the young guys, and now you've got Kairou and Thomas making $8 million per year as your top-line players, and they're having to play in every significant situation. Okay, sure. I could see how that would be a problem for them. I'm a little surprised that it happened this quickly, where right after you sign Nick Letty to that deal, boom, you can see already a little bit of decline compared to what we saw from him last year. Where Colton Pareko, we are in year one of his new contract, and it's already looking like a potential mistake for the team. Justin Falk, we feel pretty good about, but Tory Krug, we've got serious questions about, and he's got another four years. I thought the back end of these deals could hurt. I didn't think you were going to get that on the front end. And I think that's how you get yourself stuck into a rebuild is you were just wrong. You gave out contracts to a lot of guys and the evaluations ended up being incorrect on those players. And to that point, I think you've mentioned this before where 
if you have long-term contracts and you end up being wrong on them, like the Blues right now appear to be with some of these contracts, you start to fall in not to just accidentally falling into the rebuild, but also accidentally falling into what the San Jose Sharks became. And if that's the case, I mean, you look at the Sharks, they're still really bad. I I don't think the Blues will ever get to that point where they are like one of the league's worst. I I do think this will somewhat turn things around, especially because they've got some, they they could have assets at the end of the deadline that they can use to try and fix things this off season. But, you know, I, I also push back some, Somewhat, I mentioned this to you in the office the other day. I push back somewhat to the notion of, well, they're learning on the fly. Some of these guys have been in, in the league a while. You know, like uh, Robert Thomas, you know, he was on that cup run team. It's not like this is just year two for Robert Thomas. Kind of the same conversation for Jordan Cairo. I should be seeing signs of him kind of turning things around. Yes, we've always known the goal scoring's there, but the unwillingness sometimes to play a 200 foot style game. There's not been much improvement there. Colton Preco, another guy. There shouldn't be as many mistakes for a guy like Colton Preco, especially when you're in year one of your new eight year contract that we've seen. So I do push back on that notion a little bit because, yes, there are going to be mistakes. Yes, there are some guys. Jake Neighbors is going to learn this year. This is a learning year for Jake Neighbors. I expect him to make mistakes. But some of these guys that have been making them, like Robert Thomas, Pavel Buchnevich, who's done it a couple times this year, I think overall good. But uh, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo. It, we're we're almost past the point in which it should be. Oh yeah, this is just a learning season. No, the the learning season should already be behind them, in my opinion. This should be more of the year of, hey, you're taking that next step forward, and there's not there's not as many learning curves to be had. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved uh, from the three one four. Now I think this is a little bit extreme, guys. I think the Blues are down for the rest of this decade. This year was their last chance to win for the foreseeable future. Go ahead and keep the unrestricted free agents. See what they can do to win. Any compensation for UFAs will take years to develop. Start looking towards 2030. That's the next time that this team is going to be competitive again. Don't agree with that. Um, I, I think that you can get out of this. And this is where the respect for Doug Armstrong comes back into it. Army has backed himself into a corner before and he found a way out. I mean, look at some of the contracts that he was able to trade. The Laterra deal was not a good one. He got out of that. And what did you get in return? You got one of your best players and potentially the next captain of the team as a result of that deal. Uh, The Berglund deal, you didn't like that. You didn't want to have that on your books anymore. That was a part of the deal that got you your next captain and Ryan O'Reilly, the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. So he's shown an ability to get out from under some of these bad contracts. Just got to do it again. It's not easy to continue doing, and you don't want to continue signing them, but that's going to be what's on his plate this offseason. I respect his ability as a president of hockey operations too much to suggest that this team can't be competitive until 2030. I don't believe that to be true. I agree with you there, but to the points on finding a way to get out of some of those bad contracts that they have made mistakes on Laterra, Berglund, as you mentioned— what will be interesting to see this offseason is, is if he's able to kind of pull this one off because I think this is his hardest task yet in terms of trying to retool on this defensive core because when you look at those deals, they weren't worth $6.5 million and they weren't in a flat cap era. So I, I think that you're seeing Doug Armstrong now being tested with his toughest task yet. You know, Chris Kerber said this is the most adversity that the coaching staff has faced when we talked to him on Wednesday. This might be the toughest task Doug Armstrong's face as the president of hockey operations 
with the St. Louis Blues, where he's backed himself into another corner, but can he get out of this one? Because I, I think these deals are a lot harder to move than those forward ones were because it's more money AAV, there's longer term attached to them, oh, and also the cap's only going up by a million dollars. Now, maybe some GMs look at it and say, hey, there's going to be a spike in the cap in two, three years. We'll be willing. Maybe it's going to hurt us for a year to take on Tory Krug's $6.5 million, but then maybe after that first year it won't be as bad. But we'll see. I, I think this is a... I think this is five times harder than what it was to move Berglund and Laterra. All right, final thing that I wanted to get to here. We talked a lot about the young players and whether or not this was there was a learning curve for them. One of the former young players that was on the Blues is Vince Dunn. And he is having a career year this season with the Seattle Kraken. He's basically been for them what the Blues hoped that Tory Krug could be here in St. Louis, uh, a player that they signed right around that time when they ended up losing uh, or allowing Vince Dunn to go in the expansion draft. Tanner, Vince Dunn this season is playing about 24 minutes per game for the Seattle Kraken. Now, his shooting percentage is insanely high. He has nine goals in his first 50 games. He's got 36 points overall. Forget the goals. 27 assists in his first 49 games. That is what you expected Tory Krug to be for St. Louis. And he's doing it as a top-pairing defenseman right now. I didn't think this was in his range of outcomes. I didn't think he was ever going to be a guy that was going to be a top-pairing defenseman for anybody, much less St. Louis. And one of the reasons why is because we saw him get extended time here in, in with the Blues. Didn't look great at times. He was he was fine, but he wasn't a great player, and it, it was definitely time, in my opinion, for the Blues to move on from him, given the contract that he was going to command. When you look at the way that he has developed six years into his career, does it give you pause about the evaluation that we've had on any current Blues. Kind of like what we've done with the Cardinals where some of those guys go on elsewhere. Randy Rosarena is one that immediately comes to mind. It has success elsewhere. It gives you pause about moving on from guys too quickly out of the minors. Are there any players you feel that way about on the Blues currently that could become the next version of Vince Dunn? Not really. I, I don't think there's a player I look at that I'm afraid that they're going to move in the offseason. Like, I don't, they're not moving Cairo. They're not moving Thomas. Does it give you more hope for any of those players on the on the current roster then? Maybe that's a better way for me to ask it. May, yeah, I, I could see where like Robert Thomas takes more time to mold into being that kind of shutdown center that we talk about, who's going to fill the shoes of Ryan O'Reilly. Thomas has slowly started to take over the role of Ryan O'Reilly, You know, taking the big face-offs in the offensive zone or defensive zone late in games. Maybe Cairo ends up becoming the, I'm not saying he's going to become David Perron, but maybe he has that moment that clicks where Perron kind of played like Cairo we've talked about in the in the past. His first stint in St. Louis, he was more of just play offensive-minded hockey. He didn't play the 200-foot game. It, now it took a trade to kind of give him the wake-up call. That's not going to happen with Jordan Cairo. We'll see. But, yeah, it makes me a little bit more kind of lenient to wait a little bit longer for guys. Like Jake Neighbors, he's only in year one. Maybe instead of after year three, we look at him and go, oh, boy, maybe it's time to use Jake Neighbors as a trade chip. Maybe you wait a little bit longer and see if he can develop. I think it happens more often with defensemen than it does with Agreed. forwards. I think defensemen take a little longer to – Develop because I agree with you. I don't think I didn't see this being in Vince Dunn's uh, career path when he ended up leaving St. Louis. I didn't think he'd ever become this. So I would be more hesitant on defensemen than I would be forwards. But yeah, I, I think it shows you to take some pause in terms of guys like Tage Thompson. I know he didn't. I don't think he's ever going to develop to be the player he is now here in St. Louis. But it took him a while to figure out how to become the player he is today. I think there's two guys that come to mind for me. One of them has barely had any experience at the NHL level, though, so it is a little bit different, and that's Scott Perunovich because he profiles similarly to Vince Dunn. I I think you just have to be patient with him, but that's injury-related. That's not performance-related in terms of what he's been able to do. The other guy, and 
I don't have a lot of confidence in him long term. I, I would not keep him around. I would trade him at the deadline. But if we're going down this path of it takes defensemen a little while longer to develop at the NHL level and then six years in, maybe you'll see what their fully formed version is. Nico Mikula is probably the guy. He, he's probably the one that I would point to and say, OK, maybe two years from now, he becomes a better player than what I was expecting him to be. And I, I don't think that's going to happen in St. Louis. I, I don't think they're going to pony up for what it's going to take to sign him. I would bet he gets $3 million or more in the offseason. I, I don't think that'll come from the Blues. He would probably be the guy, though, that is most likely to fit into different version. But the it took six years for him to become the type of player that you were hoping he could be here in St. Louis. And unfortunately, it's probably not going to come here. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. The Air Comfort Service text line is 314-399-9646. But next, what is the most compelling storyline for the Cardinals heading into spring training? And we want to get your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. What are your reasonable expectations for Jordan Walker in 2023? We'll get to those next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I really feel sorry for Walker because they're putting so much pressure on him to perform at such a young age. But I truly hope that he does come up and really does a good job because so far, uh, all the hype that they've put on their minor leaguers that were coming up that were supposed to be so wonderful haven't turned out to be all that wonderful. That was Janet on a mic drop. I think one of the most compelling storylines going into spring training is going to be Jordan Walker, who could get like 50 or more plate appearances because of how many players in the outfield are going to be playing elsewhere for the World Baseball Classic. He's going to get a ton of opportunities in spring training. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes, we'll play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. That's coming up at about 1.30. But Tanner, we were talking about Jordan Walker earlier today, and I was frankly a little surprised, and maybe I shouldn't have been, by the reaction. And that's what Janet's uh, mic drop was in response to. By the reaction of people on what their expectations are for Walker in his career. I think that's a little bit of a different conversation compared to what the expectations are for this season. I think last year, what Nolan Gorman did is pretty much what I expected out of him as a rookie. He was slightly above league average. He did have the strikeout issues that you saw from him in the minors, but he hit for some real power. And you saw how that can translate to the big league level. For Jordan Walker, I I don't really know what fair expectations are this season because he is so incredibly young and because he has not played yet above double A. So I wanted to hear from you guys. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What are your reasonable expectations for Jordan Walker as a rookie? Here's what Jose had to say. Realistic expectations for Jordan Walker. I'd be happy with between 230, 250, with 20 bombs, you know, would be cool. But people that are all hyped up and getting mad about, oh, he needs to be this or that. that that's dumb to me. They're not accounting for that learning curve. I... I would definitely be happy with 20 home runs by by Jordan Walker. Tanner, how many home runs did Jordan Walker hit last year, though, in the minors? 
I think this is something that we need to take into account. He's a guy that's going to grow into his power. He had 19 home runs so, last year in double-A. So I wasn't sure if he got to 20 or if he's right around it. I think he's going to eventually be a guy that hits 20-plus home runs in the big leagues. I do. Hitting 20 after you had last year. Now, it's 120 games, so it's a little different in terms of the sample size. A guy that had 19 last year in double-A, I, I can't reasonably expect him to come up and immediately hit 20-plus as a rookie in the big leagues. I, I actually think I would reverse what Jose had to say there, where it's I think it's more likely that Walker hits for average and gets on base at a decent clip than it is that he hits a bunch of home runs this year. I, I think that's something that will eventually come as opposed to the average that could show itself right away because he does seem to have um, a, a pretty good batter's eye. So that that's where I'm at on Walker. Yeah, I, I don't know how his power is going to translate to the major leagues right off the bat. I, I do think he is going to be, to your point, more of that average hitter. I I would raise the the average number maybe a little bit than from what Jose had. I, I'd say around that 240, 260 mark I think is where he's going to sit. I, I just I, I don't know how to project what his power is going to look like because he does have raw power. But it's one thing once you get into the game and start seeing major league pitching, how is it going to translate? Would it shock me if he got 20 home runs? Yeah, frankly, it would. But it wouldn't be like such a massive surprise that I'd all of a sudden be like, whoa, look at what we've got here. I, I think about 10, 15 home runs is kind of what I'm expecting. And for people that have been texting in with a bunch of like major RBI numbers, like, you know, oh, he's going to drive in 100 RBIs this year. Oh, he's going to drive in. He needs to drive in 80 to reach my expectations. I, I'm not even sure he's going to be hitting top five in the lineup if he makes a team. I, I You have to remember when Rodriguez – yes, I know Rodriguez ended up hitting clean up in the wild card round for the Mariners. He started off batting ninth for the Seattle Mariners. I'm not saying Walker's going to hit that low, but, I mean, when you look at the Cardinals' top five, I think it's going to be Donovan. It's got the potential to be Newt at that two spot. Of course, you get your big three, Goldie, Arenado, Contreras. I think they're probably going to put someone like O'Neal and Yepes ahead of him, and then you're looking at potentially Jordan Walker. I think he's going to – his first start – he might be hitting seventh for the Cardinals. And I think that's where his RBI numbers aren't going to be that high. And I don't think fans should be translating that to how they're grading Jordan Walker this year. So here's a question for you. How would you feel if this was the rookie season for Jordan Walker? In this scenario, he's starting on opening day. He, he wins the job coming out of spring training. He hits so incredibly well down in Jupiter that they say, you know what? We can't send this guy to AAA. There's no reason to. He's already ready to go. Like We need him to be on our big league roster. This is... He's not going to be the next Albert Pujols. Nobody is going to be the next Albert Pujols. We got to we got to shut that from our mind. But he he is a guy that, like Albert Pujols, won a job coming out of camp. Right, two sixty five average. That's what he finishes the year with. Gets on base about thirty four percent of the time, so he's pretty nice on base percentage. Slugs four thirty five. So you got about eighteen home runs in his rookie season, and you can add twenty five thirty doubles to that. He ends up over the course of the season being about 10 to 15 percent above league average. How would you feel about that as Jordan Walker? And he's he's fine defensively. Not great, but fine. He does a, a good enough job out in right field. How would you feel about that if that is his rookie season for the St. Louis Cardinals? I think that's a really good rookie year. I, I think that if you told me I could press a button and just gamble that, hey, he could be better, he could be worse, or you can just take this right now, I would press the button and take that. That's a really good rookie year. I know you've got somebody from who that's from, but... I uh I would sign up for that. I mean, if he has that kind of power in his rookie season, plus he's got a decent average and he's getting on base at a really good clip, he's only going to grow from there. So yeah, I I would take that. Is that Harris's numbers? Who who are you referring to when you said those? It's going to surprise some people. That was Dylan Carlson. Oh, that's what Dylan Carlson did in 2021 in his first full season in the big leagues. 
150 games, hit 265, got on base 34% of the time, had 18 home runs, 65 RBIs, and finished that year with, uh, I think it was 30 doubles as well. So pretty good rookie season, I would say. That was his first full season in the big leagues. He didn't follow it up with the season that you wanted. No, Nobody is going to argue that. But his first full season in the big leagues, 13% above league average offensively, is what you got out of Dylan Carlson. I would sign up for that today. If you told me, like, there's a button here and you can either play it out and see what Jordan Walker's first season looks like and could go great, could go poorly. We don't know. Could be somewhere in between. Or I can hit a button and lock it in. He puts up the season this year that Dylan Carlson did in 2021. I would sign up for Dylan Carlson's season because I think that that is a really good rookie year, like you said, that you can build upon in 2024 and beyond. And I don't know what it will look like this season for Jordan Walker if I just kind of let this thing run its course. I think it could go worse than people are expected. So, I, yeah, I, I would sign up for that. Um, I don't know that a lot of Cardinals fans would, though. Do you think that, I mean, given what the expectations are and what we just saw in the last segment that we talked about Jordan Walker, do you think most Cardinals fans would be okay with that being his rookie year? Would they sign up for that right now? I think there would be a portion of the fan base that would sign up for it, but I do think there's a portion that would say, I would press my luck, and I think he should be better than that. I, I think there would be a portion of the fan base thinking, if he wins the job out of spring training, which is what the case was in this scenario, mm-hmm. that he's going to be a guy that has to win NL Rookie of the Year. Or is going to be in that conversation based on the hype that has been kind of surrounding him from the national perspective and how the Cardinals have said that how he's one of the best prospects they've had since Tavares and Albert Pujols. So I would say there's going to be a portion that would definitely say, I think the vast majority, I would say it'd probably be 60-40, would say, no, that's not good enough. They would expect more from Jordan Walker. Again, I I would be in the 40% category. I, I think that would be a great season for Jordan Walker because I think he's going to build upon that. I, I, I think there's going to be that two- to three-year kind of learning period for Jordan Walker and then the moment he exceeds the past that after that third year, I think you're just going to see him skyrocket into what his true potential can be. If you guys want to vote on this, I'm going to put out a poll on Twitter just to find out kind of where where people are on that. Would you hit the button for Jordan Walker to have Dylan Carlson's 2021 rookie season? Or would you press your luck and hope for something more? I'll put that on Twitter at BK Sports Talk. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, you give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Got to Go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. Let's start with this T-Bone. One's gotta go. Dessert edition. Cookies, cake, brownies, or pie? Which one's gotta go? Mm, love them all. I would say probably... I think I'm going to go with pie. I love just about every kind of cookie. 
I love most cakes. What was the other one that I'm forgetting? I Cookies, cake, brownie, or pie. Brownie. Oh, freaking brownies. Delicious. Pie, you know, I've only got like one or two flavors I really like. Like apple pie, get it the hell out of here. Cherry pie, gross. Pecan. Blech. So I, I would say. Uh, what was that noise you just made? Please uh, never do it again. <laughs> get rid of get rid of the pie. Uh, I'm going pie as well. That would definitely be my least favorite option of the group. You know, I'm not a big pumpkin pie guy. I would prefer the sweet potato variety. Funny, because that's like one of the two that I like. Yeah, yeah. Not not a pumpkin pie fan. But um, in general, I just eat pie the least amount out of all of these four. So it would impact my life the least. Uh, one's got to go. I just lost control of my computer. T-Bone, anything that you see on the text line that would be good for us? There was one that looked like it was like candy. I was about to do Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, something like that. I'll have to continue to dig through. There's a bunch in here. One that I find interesting. One's got to go with the career of Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, or Albert Pujols. Well, we're not doing Albert Pujols in St. Louis. That would be the wrong answer. Um... Wayne Gretzky, still in St. Louis, probably would not do that one. So what are the other two options, Jordan or Tom Brady? Brady? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this selfishly. As a Chiefs fan, I would 100% get rid of the Tom Brady career. Because first of all, he caused me a whole hell of a lot of heartbreak. And if he's not playing in the NFL, I think Mahomes has four Super Bowls in his first five years in the NFL, probably. Because there was one in the AFC Championship game, the D Ford game, where he was off sides. That one goes away. They probably get in that year. And then the Tampa Bay one uh, that Brady won. Chiefs might end up winning that Super Bowl as well. So I'm getting rid of Tom Brady. And that means the Rams also probably have another Super Bowl. So yeah, yeah, that's why I'm getting I'll rid of the, too. I'll play to the crowd. I, well, I'm doing it because I, I am selfish, too. I, I would like to have had there would be two more Super Bowls for sure for the uh, Rams. One in St. Louis in what was it? Oh, one, yep. if I remember correctly. And then the one where oh, he, yeah, the last recently. one against when they Rams were in L.A. when golf like short circuited and couldn't do anything. But those would be the ones for me. I so I'd say Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. I didn't get to see him play, but yeah, you can't rid of you, you can't get rid of him. The, the NBA is not what it is today without Michael Jordan. All right, I have my computer back up. It has uh, restarted for me. One's got to go. Vacation edition. T Bone, Florida, California, Hawaii, or Mexico. Which one's got to go? Florida, California, Hawaii, or Mexico. Mm. I would probably say California, I think. Because Florida, you've got beaches. Hawaii, yeah, beaches you've got in California, the- my man. I know, but like when I hear someone say, hey, I'm going to the beach, I don't typically hear California followed after that first sentence. Um, plus, California, I think traffic's a nightmare out there. Hawaii would be great. Mexico, Jamie's going. I'm jealous. So I, I think I'd give her to California. I would. Pr- so I. Wife- loves going to Disney World. I enjoy going to Disney World. But so you're just trying to get rid of Florida I, so you don't would, have to go again? I would enjoy going elsewhere. Like uh, Disneyland? Yeah, so like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and get rid of Florida, and then we can take vacations to all of these other options, Mexico, Hawaii, and California instead. Uh, so I'll, I'll once again play this one selfishly and go ahead and get rid of Florida. One's got to go side edition. Fries, onion rings, a salad or the baked potato? French fries, onion rings, salad, or baked potato? Which one's got to go? So fries have got to stay. They're the goat. Uh, I love a good salad, so that's got to stay. I think I'm going to get rid of baked potato here. I like some good fried onion rings. 
baked potato. I, I can't get really into the baked potato thing, you know, and I, all I like is like butter and pepper on my potatoes. So I, I could do without. So get rid of the baked potato. Um, I would probably go baked potato as well. I don't typically eat a salad as a side though. Oh, really? I, if I'm getting a salad, I'll typically get it as a starter and then get to my main meal that has a different side oh, with well. my meal. Okay. So I don't, and, and like, I know a lot of people get salads as their side. I don't typically, so I'll leave it just because of the sake of argument. But for me, I don't really treat it as a side. See, I can I consider the the quote unquote starter as kind of a side as well. That's why, like, when you said that, I was like, oh wow, I'm shocked by that. But okay, I see what you're saying yeah. now. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for one's got to go. One got to go game night edition. I like this one. I love a good game night. Trivia, a card game, board game. Or poker. Trivia, card game, poker, or board game. T-Bone, which one of those has got to go? Okay, so I like a good board game, so that's going to stay. I love poker. Card game. I could play a card game. I'm getting rid of trivia. I, look, I'm not smart enough to be doing the trivia. I, I produced the morning show in the fast lane. I had to come up with the trivia questions. Worst part of my day. Uh, so I I would say trivia's got to go. I'm just not into that kind of stuff. I, I got a good sense on sports trivia. Man, we get outside of that. I'm I'm bad. I'm bad at it. I'm done. So there's a reason we don't do trivia on this show. It's not our thing, right? Yeah. I, I'm not great at trivia, as you guys could probably oh, imagine. Oh, I heard you do the gauntlet one day. Oh, dude, dude it was bad. It I, was a bad performance. I glitched during yeah. the gauntlet. It was horrible and absolutely, like, all-time bad performance. Made us me. all look bad. 100%. Um, I'm not great at trivia. I freak out too much in the, in the moment. Not a good test taker is what I've learned in my in my 30s. That's apparently something that has gone awry for me. Um, trivia would be my answer to this. That being said, I like a good trivia night. I think there's two different things that are going on here, like trivia that you would do at home, like a trivial pursuit type of a thing versus a trivia night where you're going somewhere and you've got like the eight people at oh, a table. I'm still out on that. I like a good trivia night where everybody brings a little a little food. You get the free drinks. It's for charity typically. Like that I'm in for. Trivia at home, I don't need that. I would rather do any of these other things. And I'm guessing that's kind of more what this question is asking. I, I'm in on the trivia night like aspect of it for charity. But I, I just feel like when I leave the table, I'm the Tanner making smartest. sure that he clarifies. Yeah, charity well, yeah, good, yeah. I didn't want to make it sound bad. like I'm a terrible guy. <laughs> I'm in on the charity part of it. But I, like when I leave a trivia night, I feel like I left the dumbest guy at the table. So I, I don't need to be going through that. I, I think that it's some of that is about your uh, your age. A lot of Probably. trivia nights are geared towards what the audience is going to be. And your average trivia night person is probably more in like the 40 to 60 range. Because those are, let's be honest, the people that have a little bit more of the the income to be able to go to such things. Um, and so when you're 23, 22, yep, 23, the questions are not exactly going to be in your wheelhouse. Although if there was ever a 22 year old where the questions would be in their wheelhouse, it would be you. As uh, long as we avoid that, like two early 2000, late 90s, if it's like a music question slash movie question, 
I've got a chance, but even then, like kind of like you, I was a, ba- I was a, as you said, I was a bad test taker in school. My thing is, I wasn't a bad test taker. Oh, in school. I was. I have become one in my later stages. Oh, I was a bad test taker, so I would like kind of freak out, and it'd be like something I know, and I would glitch out, and then sure. again, I would totally leave the table going, "Man, you made yourself look like an idiot, an absolute idiot. What are you doing?" So, uh, from the three one four. So BK, you're saying there is no chance that we end up seeing you on Family Feud? No, that is not in my future. No. chance. Oh, I, I could do Family That's not really trivia, in my opinion. I could do Family Feud. I think Family Feud would be fun. Uh, I we should be... do a one-on-one ESPN show feud for charity. Like the four shows going yeah. up against one another? I think that would be a really good idea. Ryder, let's get on that. We, Ryder doesn't have anything to do. He's not yeah. busy during the days. So I think he could probably go yeah. ahead and do this. All right, next one up. One's got to go. Candy edition. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Butterfingers. Three Musketeers. Or a whatchamacallit. T-Bone, which one's got to go? What is a whatchamacallit? It's a candy bar, man. Well, like, what is it like? I haven't had a whatchamacallit since I was a kid. I didn't even reckon. I thought someone, like, had autocorrect to a whatchamacallit. I didn't think it was supposed to be belonging in this category. It is a chocolate candy bar. Uh, It is made by Hershey's. Uh, Chocolate cocoa crisp, crisp rice, and peanut butter are the main ingredients. I could get in on that. Um... I think Butterfingers it's like a go. Rice Krispie treat in chocolate, basically. Mm, I could do. I could get in on that. So what you call it is gonna stay. I gotta get rid of the Butterfinger. Butterfingers I, are trash. They're like bricks. Awful. Yeah, I'm out on those. Like you bite into it and you got like that kind of what is it like peanut buttery taste and it's like hard. I'm out. It's not my thing. Yeah, no, that's 100 percent the one that's got to go. Somebody from the six three six said, "Guys, Randy would smoke you all in trivia." Yeah, we know. Why we're doing it Family Feud style. That's exactly what we said. I I think we'd have a chance in like a Family Feud style thing. Yeah, I would never go up against Randy in trivia because I know that I would be terrible in that scenario. Trivia is just not my thing. I got into this to do uh, opinion making, not not trivia. Different different roles, different shows. It's all right. We all we've all got our uh, way to go about this thing. All right, coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. For wrap this thing up on a Friday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson and Umbrated Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, I feel like the uh, the text line has really raised its level of uh, of energy today. They, they feel a little happier on the text line. Maybe oh, it's because it's a big I, uh, day in the state of Missouri. I was not getting that vibe from the text line. You didn't get that line. vibe? I don't know. I feel like over the course of the day, they've gotten a little happier. And I appreciate that out of you guys. If you're celebrating today, congratulations. It's a big day uh, here in the state of Missouri. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh, T-Bone, let's finish the show today where we started, and that's with Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, He made it, I believe, pretty clear in his conversation with Jeremy Rutherford and some of the other assembled local media yesterday down in South Florida that this is probably going to be the last month of his career in a Blues uniform. Uh, He's going to be representing the Blues at 
the All-Star game this weekend. How, how are you going to take this in? Like, as you're watching the All-Star game this weekend, is it is it going to bring back any fond memories for you? Is it something that you're going to reminisce about? Or is that something that will take place more as we continue along here in the final month prior to the deadline? I, I think for me, it'll probably be more as we get into the final month of the deadline, uh, just because I, I don't have that much interest in the All-Star game, but seeing him play kind of down the stretch in the final, what, I think 10 games before the all, before the yep. March 3rd deadline. He may not play in all 10 of those. He may be dealt before that, but that's when I think it'll really kind of hit home for me. And I, I think I'll remember kind of his playoffs in 2019, you know, that cup run team, though he didn't win the MVP in the Stanley Cup, it went to Ryan O'Reilly. He was really good for them. He had three goals. I think it was in the first four games of that Stanley Cup final, if I remember correctly. He had a great 19 cup run postseason. And I, like I said earlier, you know, like when I look back on Vladdy's time as a blue I think like in my lifetime, I think right now, he's going to be viewed as kind of a top three member, I would say, in the or in the top three of St. Louis Blues in this current era of Blues hockey. Because Who would you put on that list with him? I would put Petra on that list. You know, yeah. he was the captain. One, we've talked about it. One of the best guys. O'Reilly or uh, Perron. I think Perron would kind of put be close to that list. Pro- that's a good question. Who do you think will be remembered more fondly in St. Louis? Perron That's, that's or a Vladdy? really interesting question. Yeah, Perron versus Vladdy. Because the numbers, are, the numbers are in favor of Vladdy. I think it would be Perron. Because Perron Man. was traded to, if I remember correctly, was it Edmonton first? And then came back and signed with the Blues and then got uh, taken in the expansion draft and then came back and signed with the Blues. And if it weren't for the Blues, essentially, choosing Nick Letty over him this year, he would still have the blue note on. So I I would say that it would be, um, I think it would be Perron, even though the numbers favor Vladdy, because though Vladdy's exit has the potential, it's not going to be ugly by any means, but some fans will remember him putting in the trade request. They'll always remember Perron always wanted to be a Blue and even wanted to finish his career as a St. Louis Blue, even if he may end up coming back at some point again to finish his career here. Yeah, that's that's a super interesting proposition on which one will be remembered more fun. I, I think it's probably Vladdy because of the goal-scoring prowess that he had and because of the the stature that he elevated to while he was here. I mean, he was at one point in time, considered to be one of the best players in the NHL. He's on that. I know we bring it up all the time, and I think people kind of brush it off sometimes, but it's a really big deal that he was on the cover of the NHL video game. Like, that's not nothing. That That is superstar status, and that's something that outside of Vladdy, I mean, who who in the last 15 years or so elevated to that level in a Blues uniform of being a legit superstar, not just a very good player locally, but a superstar status player. It might've just been him. Um, David Perron was never that for them. David Backus was never that for them. A good player, but never on that level of superstar. Alex Steen was never really that. Petro was never that because he was never really in that. People always said, you know, he's one of the best defensemen, but he never ended up winning like a Norris. So he's not in that conversation. Maybe O'Reilly for a quick time period after he won uh, the con Smythe, maybe he was in that conversation. But yeah, to your point, I, I think it is just Vladdy. I mean, he was he was the cover athlete for a video game. I remember that video game. I remember having that video game growing up as a kid. So I don't think there has been anybody that's gotten to that level. Yeah, and I think as we get further away, further removed from the ending, the way that things are ending right now with Vladdy, I think people will remember his career more fondly because like it, it did result in the first ever Stanley Cup win. And as you mentioned, he was a huge part of that. They don't win the Stanley Cup without Vladimir Tarasenko playing the way that he did in that postseason. So I 
I think that I would probably still go with Vladdy as being the one that is remembered more fondly, but um, that's going to be an interesting one uh, as we continue along here and as we look at what the final month potentially is going to be of Vladdy's career here in St. Louis. Somebody else on the text line, by the way, mentioned TJ Oshie. I that's probably one, from but it was because of the, the Olympics. Olympics. Uh, TJ Sochi, like, it, it, had he done something like that in a Blues uniform? Yes, but his kind of fame came from playing in the Olympics while being with the Blues organization. So I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really throw him into that category. Yeah, I, I think it's a little different. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's fair. He he did rise to the level of superstar status because of what he was able to do in the Olympics. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Again, if you missed anything from today's show, I think it's worth your time to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. I really enjoyed our conversation earlier today on what reasonable expectations are for Jordan Walker in his career here in St. Louis. And no, I don't think that he has to become the next Mike Trout in order to live up to those expectations. You can check out our full thoughts on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We'll be back on Monday. I genuinely cannot wait to hear Alex's stories of what this week was like for he and his family. Be my favorite part about Monday. Down in Disney World. So looking forward to that. We'll talk to you guys then. Enjoy the weekend. Be safe out there. We'll talk to you on Monday here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.